Welcome back to the Sweatin' Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I am your host, D.F. Encounter. With me is Jacob Sanderson. You can find him on Twitter, at Jacob Sanderson. You will never, never forget his Twitter handle. It's it's very blatantly obvious. That must be what you're going for rather than creativity, right? Like, you could either have creative or you're just boring and, like, straight to the point. Yeah, it's search engine optimized, for sure. <laughs> I guess we should probably drop the poor uh, Twitter handle bit soon, but... Maybe not. Yeah, that bit is really overplayed. Yeah, I think it's done. <laughs> it's like nine o'clock in the morning, so I'm I'm lacking creativity of my own right now. So I apologize. Anyway, uh, yeah, today we're going to talk uh, about rookie drafts. We have not yet convened since after the 2023 draft, so we're going to go through. And realistically, if we just went player by player, this would be a seven-hour podcast. So we're going to try and give ourselves some guideposts. We're going to start off with some general <laughs> conversation sorry, topics. Hashtag sorry, Matt. Hashtag sorry, listeners. If we did that, it'd be an audio book, <laughs> not a podcast. Um, so we're going to start off with just a little some general questions, how we sort of strategize our way through rookie drafts. And then we're going to go in and hit some nice search engine optimized player questions. So let's first off, Probably the most common question that I get asked is like, or at least 80 different iterations of this question is, I like player X, but their ADP is Y. You have player X ranked Z, but their ADP is W. All these questions are effectively asking the same thing. How, when you're going about building your portfolio of teams, generating exposures to players, are you balancing drafting at your ranks versus drafting at ADP? and trying to get the exposures that you want at the right cost. Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think it's not really that clear. And, and I don't think you can really get a clear answer for this kind of thing. It's uh, it's complicated. <laughs> but uh, basically what okay, I do Avril is... Avril Levine. At, yeah, exactly. Canadian icon, Avril Levine. She's Canadian, right? Yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she of course she is. Oh my goodness. She's the best. I, I actually really like Avril Levine. Anyway, that's off topic. The point is merely, I use like value pockets. So when I'm looking at players to draft, I kind of draft from the same value pocket with the players that I like the most within that value bucket. And then uh, and then I don't usually jump, like I'm not going to take a player that's like around seven startup ADP over a player that's say around four startup ADP because you're just flushing a whole bunch of value down the toilet. When you draft rookies, you have like one and a half years usually to uh, to un- to unload them on someone else unless unless they're terrible like some guys just face plant straight out the gate terrace marshall just and it's bad but uh that doesn't happen that often usually you get at least a year out of or a year and a half to uh to unload them before before the inevitable crash happens so i try to not lose those like two or three rounds of value in in startup value straight out the gate by picking a player that's just way less valuable in that case i'll usually try to get some kind of trade down so even like something as simple as hey like if you want your guy here just throw me a second in two years and you can have him and i'm just getting a little bit of value i'm gonna get the guy i'd rather take anyways and away we go now obviously that's within the context of how much value we're giving up to get the next guy if i'm going from say a Bijan Robinson down to like a CJ Stroud. I'm really not that interested in making that trade unless I'm getting a mountain, uh, like a, an enormous bounty coming back because I like Bijan Robinson much more than someone like CJ Stroud. 
Uh, so you have to, you know, kind of apply your own context and your own feelings on the on the players in question. As you go down the draft board, the the value tiers should expand because there's just really not a whole lot of value difference between, say, at around 12 and 14 versus around four and six uh, startup players. Usually at that point, you're kind of drafting for preference anyway. So I I just kind of take the player that I like better than taking a player I don't like and and hoping that I can unload them at some point in the future. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how I do it. You got to keep in mind that you need to know your leagues as well. Like if you know, if you take, like if I'm in a league with a bunch of data analysts, I'm probably not going to just take the film guru guy that no analytics people are ever going to be interested in just to try to unload them because my league isn't going to let me unload them. And, and likewise, if you're a film person and you're in a league with a bunch of data guys, don't take the film guy and try to unload them that you don't like because that ain't going to work either. So, right. yeah. And, th- and then, you know, knowing your league mates, if nobody in your league values mm-hmm. quarterbacks, drafting a quarterback that's maybe a little bit more valuable that you don't like probably isn't going to get net you the right results because nobody's going to value the quarterbacks. And likewise yeah. with tight ends. Like some leagues I have tight ends where I have like, every good tight end and nobody wants any of them and i'm like this is so weird like i can see that you need my tight end look look at your starting tyler right. Higby. i'll give you a good player and they're like no nah, i'm good <laughs> i'm good i'll no no and it's like well don't reach on a tight or don't take a tight end over a bad player just because you have yeah. the tight ends better if nobody's gonna buy the friggin' tight end from you so anyways those are my kind of thoughts around it yeah, I think cost matters for two reasons. And I think that a lot of time people focus on the first, which is what you just sort of mentioned, which is you you draft the guys at the better costs because then you're able to trade them more, right? Literally in that league, you're able to get more to that pick. And that's true to an extent. But I'm I'm often a little bit bearish about like the actual dependability of how liquid your league market is and how much it always aligns with the market. I think what's probably more important to me with trying to draft that ADP is from a portfolio building perspective. Like I don't want hundred percent exposure to anyone, right? I already want to mix everybody up. I'm in over 50 leagues. I'm trying to mix through guys. And so for me, it's like, if I'm already going to be trying to get a diversified portfolio, I want to just get everybody at the best cost, right? I don't want my 20% exposure to Sam Laporta to all be at the 203. I would like my 20% exposure to Sam Laporta to be at the 208. And then instead of my, you know, 10% Kendra Miller at the 201, I want that to be at the 203 so that on net I can kind of get the best value out of my entire drafts on, on aggregate. I think if I was only in one or two leagues, I'd probably be more willing to go and get quote unquote my guys. But in general, how I set my target exposures up and how I sort of pick where I want to take players at which costs is I start off basically asking two questions. First, like just what are the player profiles that I really want to bet on, right? Either profiles that look really good, profiles that I think have some legitimate upside, or just like the type of bets that I normally want to make, right? I'm I'm usually more interested in taking like all-purpose running back backups, for instance, than I am in not very good third-round wide receivers. And then later I look at the cost. It's like, okay, when you ADP, who do I just think is mispriced? Um, you know, and so now I look at who are the good players, who are the good prices, and ultimately the players that are that I think are the good players, the good prices are the ones I'm going to have two, three, four X the market on. The ones who I think are either good bets in a vacuum but are priced up 
or are not the greatest bets, but are pretty cheap. Those are the ones I'm going to be kind of with the market on and everybody else just winds up getting kind of zeroed out. So the way I try to figure out where I'm drafting is like I mentioned, you mentioned going through those value pockets, right? For instance, kind of a tier would be like after the top nine guys, you get into the three tight ends with Kincaid, Mayer, Laporta. You get A-Chain, Miller, Charbonnet, Levis, and then you get like kind of Mims, Downs, Mingo, Rasheed Rice. They kind of are like, I don't know, like really a big, big chunk of tier there. It's like, well, I want Kincaid and I want a chain on my teams. They're usually going at the front of that tier. I'm taking them at the front of the tier every time. That's the only place I can get them. If I want them on my team, that's where I'm taking them. I want Laporta and Mims on my team. They're usually going at the back, though. So it's like I don't ever have to take them anywhere in the middle. I can get all my exposure to them at the back of that tier. I can sometimes even get it even later. And then I preserve that sort of middle group where if Kincaid and the chain are gone, if I don't need to go and push the issue to get Laporta and Mims, that's where I take the guys that I want to be roughly around the market on. I'll mix in a Charbonnet. I'll mix in a Miller. Um, I'll take, I'll mix in a mayor. And then you kind of look through your teams and you go, oh, where's Jonathan Mingo? Well, he's on somebody else's team. Cause that's the one that I'm not ever taking, right? I'm not ever taking Mingo. I'm not really taking much of Will Levis. Not Why taking much take of Rasheed Rice. Why wouldn't I take Jonathan Mingo? Yeah. Like um, he's got a complex profile, but it looks nice. Doesn't it? Yeah. My issue with Jonathan Mingo for sure is that, um, Nobody had ever heard of this guy a month ago because he wasn't ever good in college. He was completely non-productive for four years at Ole Miss. He has like a couple of intermittent stretches of good production, and then he's either his role changed or he got injured or whatever. What I would say generally is like if you're splicing up a player's college production, especially for a four-year sample, to try and find the pockets that were good, most players have good pockets. Like most bad players weren't just – eternally bad for every single game that they ever played most had good games sometimes those good games came in back-to-back -back weeks and usually the players who can't sustain that production or they face some sort of change or adversity and then all of a sudden their production completely tails off and it only works in a very specific set of circumstances that are favorable to that player those players are usually bad so that's that's why i'm not into jonathan mingo well let me let me put it to you this way When, when was Elijah Moore drafted? What pick? Do you remember? Elijah Moore was drafted like quite early in the second, I think. I, I don't know, pick 36, pick 35, something like that. Yeah, let me just check. I can, I, Mingo, if you were ranking Ole Miss pass catchers in terms of draft capital, the, the, most, the highest drafted was Ingram, followed by Elijah Moore, followed by hey, Mingo, followed hold by on. A.J. Brown, followed by Metcalf, followed by Knox. Hold on. You seem to be forgetting the one true god from Ole Miss, Laquan Treadwell. Oh, right. Yeah, he was the highest true. drafted of the of the of the group. Yeah, so, was he higher drafted than Evan Ingram? I think so. Treadwell was twenty three. I think Ingram was in the 25, 26 range. Okay, that I could be wrong though. Anyways, yeah, like if you're just looking at draft capital in Ole Miss, like he's probably the best. He's better than AJ Brown. He's he's right on <laughs> par with Elijah Moore, and he's considerably better than DK Metcalf. So you just have to push the button knowing that he went to Ole Miss and was drafted highly. And it's uh, 
what do you what do you call that? Helmet scouting? We just helmet scout yeah. in this for business. for like a fairly the easiest things we can do. For a fairly mediocre program over the last like decade plus, they've had an incredible amount of NFL pass catching prospects. Right, like Jonathan Mingo, latest example. They're like a second tier SEC West program. Yeah. We've had like a couple of oh. intermittent exciting seasons alongside a lot of like six and six, seven and five type seasons. But yeah, like Brown, Metcalf, Elijah Moore, Mingo, Evan Ingram. I, I would Dawson be willing Knox, to bet. If you wanted to cut the sample even further, you could probably limit it to exclude someone like Laquan Treadwell or possibly. I don't remember. I don't remember. Is Laquan Treadwell 6'1 or 6'2? I don't know. I, I can't. Uh, okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you well. can. I was going to say you could probably cut off the height limit somewhere, eliminate Elijah Moore from the situation and Laquan Treadwell. Right. And now you're just left with Evan Ingram and DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and Jonathan Mingo, and you're set. Maybe, yeah, maybe you, you do then a, you have to, a weight Then you have to include That's Dawson Knox. Top 12 tight end, Dawson Knox? Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. We'll do a weight restriction. That'll get us there. Height won't, but weight will. I'm pretty sure like Laquan was only about 215. And everyone over mm. like 220 is a stud from Ole Miss. Yeah. So let's go. For the record, um, I'm yeah, drafting Jonathan Mingo at any point, at any draft. <laughs> he will go undrafted if I were drafting all four rounds myself. <laughs> Okay, so I, I had like this. It was so silly. I, I I originally ranked him like pretty absurdly low. Like his ADP is like I think the two hundred three or the two hundred two. My first set of ranks. <laughs> so um, like one well, my pre-draft ranks, I had him in the late fourth, and I only had him there because like apparently he was going to go in round two. Um, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been in my top forty eight if I wasn't like even accounting for draft capital at all. And then I after he got the draft capital, I was like, all right, okay, I'll like at least bump him up whatever i hadn't looked at adp yet i I intentionally did not look at adp when i published my first set of post-draft ranks because i didn't want to be influenced by it um and i was like i'm probably going to be a little low on john and the mingo i put him at the 304 and then i saw his adp i was like holy crap like i'm extraordinarily low on jonathan mingo like an almost comical extent and then i was i was like asking around with some folks that i um that i respect and i was like where do you have mingo like Am I like being too much of a hater? Like, is this, am I being dramatic? Um, and they were like, yeah, you're being dramatic. And I was like, all right, I'll move him up. I'll move him up. And so I moved him up to the 301 and that hasn't mattered. I haven't ever seen him last the 301, <laughs> but I like, so I begrudgingly moved Mingo up higher than I'd want to draft him. Still not within eight picks of his ADP. Yeah, I got him at 28. So I, I guess I will draft him oh, at the top. 304, that's exactly where I had him in my first run before I, yeah. I before I, Gave way to the to the masses, and I moved him up to yeah. three hundred one. Yeah, I'm not I'm not drafting him where his ADP is. I mean, I guess if I absolutely have to, I guess I could. But like, there's somebody that is willing to draft him there, and I'll I'll take virtually anything to get out of that pick. That's the thing. Like to me, you just have to be. I mean, look, if you, you can play whatever you want. If you want to just take everybody at ADP, you can do that. You'll gain like I don't know five cents of Skolanski box for draft. You're just always going to get the best prices because you're just going to date the highest ADP guy at all time. And that, it's like that's a viable way to play. But for me, like I'm, I'm, a, I have reasonably flat exposures. But to me, it's like guys I'm drafting and guys I'm not drafting. It's almost that binary. So it's like I'm going to get steadily over the market at good prices to all the guys I am drafting, and then I'm getting that because I'm just straight zeroing other guys. So, so Mingo unfortunately falls into that category. And I think the thing people like. 
forget to some extent too is you can always trade for some of these guys if if they end up hitting and especially with wide receiver especially with rookie wide receivers like there's exceptions obviously but most of the time rookie wide receivers without strong profiles when they do break out it's usually not immediate the market usually takes a while to adjust i would rather just pay more later for whichever one to two of these mediocre profile wide receivers actually looks good if any of them rather than drafting them all in the rookie drafts and then being stuck with like you know six zeros two or three meaningless roster cloggers and maybe one stud it's like i'd rather just not draft any of them spend all my time drafting running backs and tight ends where even if they're shitty they have some sort of utility to me and then I'll just trade for the good wide receiver. I'll trade for the bad wide receiver prospects that turn out to be pretty good. I'll just trade for the Christian Watsons in season. I'll trade for the, I'm trying to think of another example, um, Debo Sanders. Christian Watson wasn't a bad prospect. prospect. What are you talking about? Oh, come on, bro. He's a fine prospect. Nothing wrong with Christian Watson. He would look like a fucking phenomenal prospect in this class. He'd be like in the top, he'd probably he, he, be my wide receiver five. He'd be wide receiver four, probably. <laughs> No, that's Steve. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to Mr. Flowers. Okay, yeah, he'd he'd be right in that Flowers range, sure. I, yeah, he'd be five, five or it, six. I, honestly, I might have taken Watson over Flowers if uh, if he was in this class. They'd be right, right neck and neck. Yeah, you love your big boys. I was doing a well. It's not just my big boys. It's also like, wow, the Ravens' pass catching core is much different than it used to be. And we still don't know if Lamar is going to actually pass a lot more. I hope he does. I think he will. And then I don't buy this. I don't buy this Ravens pass catcher FUD. Like I get that it's better than it has been, but there's still nobody outside of Mark Andrews, but like in the wide receiver room, you have a bunch of players who are plausibly good, but there's nobody who's an insurmountable obstacle. Like if, if flowers is just another vaguely good football player which is probably what he is then yeah it's going to be a mess but if flowers is a dude then like 30 year old odell beckham and rashad can't stay on the field and can't run full route shares but has some nice advanced numbers bateman is not like going to be in the way of zay flowers reaching full bloom but Pretty yeah much anybody who's a dude doesn't have any competition like did you if you if that's get the- any acknowledgement of flowers reaching full bloom no okay. acknowledgement that was good fine you, you win that was okay that was that was god it's 9 a.m that was pretty good well done sir. yeah hard he on will that. be in full bloom if he is in fact a dude i was more mostly hung up on your statement of well if he's a dude nobody will get in his way that's the case with every dude if they're a dude nobody's gonna get in their way yeah I just it's know more true there than i mean if jordan addison's a dude Justin jefferson is still in his way that's true. Okay, there are some instances <laughs> where a dude can get blocked, and it's if you have Justin Jefferson on your squad, and or like, Jamar it's not Chase. Like he's dead. Like T. Like, Higgins, Jordan could be Addison. A dude right. Like if Jordan Addison's Jordan Addison's absolute ceiling for the foreseeable future is still considerable, but it's like a Devonta Smith, T. Higgins ceiling, right? It's it's yeah. being a, a probably a really good player next to one of the best players in the NFL. Um, Whereas like flower ceiling is not that flower ceiling is it's, it's unknowable. Yeah. Well, it's like one of the things where we talk about with uh, 
you know, like two alphas can eat in the same offense. Yeah, at 25% target shares, there can be two, but not at 30%. Right. Not like, the other guy yeah. isn't getting 25%, likely. He's getting in the low 20s if he's still a dude. If you're playing with Jamar right. Chase or Justin Jefferson, they're getting 30. So, or like, it's kind of like yeah, the, I mean, you uh, look at Hopkins and DJ and, uh, Devonta Smith combined for 56% target share last year, which is yeah. insane. We don't ever almost see that. That that required Dallas Goddard to miss like a month of the season. Also, that yeah. they they both like when Dallas Goddard was out, those guys were like 60% of the targets. Like it was just like yeah. they were the only ones that anybody was throwing to. Um, and and I mean they were really good. But like AJ Brown was a mid wide receiver one. Smith, I, I think, was what a high end wide receiver two. Um, both those guys, independent of each other, certainly incapable of more. But it's yeah. just the way that the cookie crumbles. <laughs> just the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we we really know. got off track here. How did that um, happen? This is brutal. You're a monster. I'm gonna I'm gonna combine these next two questions. Okay, so what do you okay. think? What do you think are the what I call the hot spots and the cold spots of the draft? And by that I mean the hot spots are usually where you're sitting at the end of a tier and you have like no anxiety about the four picks before you're like, take whoever you want. I'm happy with whoever falls here. I'm really excited about this pick versus the cold spots of the draft where you're like, oh my god, if everybody takes according to ADP, I'm gonna get stuck with this guy who's just not any better than any of the players <laughs> after him. I think the hot spot for me is the uh, the middle of the first round. I really like the players that you can get in the middle middle of round one, and then I really like the players you can get kind of at the round two three turn. Those are my hot spots. Uh, the cold spot is definitely the most of the second round. The second round is got all these guys like Jonathan Mingo that I just couldn't possibly even have an ounce of interest in drafting. And they're just stacked there. They're just like one after another, after another, after another. And I'm just like, oh man, like I'm gonna, I'm like, I haven't had any rookie drafts yet. But once I do, I'm gonna be trading out of my second round picks to get third round picks and seconds next year repeatedly. It's gonna be. I like the early. I I like the. I like the mid second. Like the two. So like I, I think there's like. I think there's like like Brandon Hooker. No, That's that's your guy. He's the mid. He's literally the mid second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he you is. Like Rasheed Rice. I'm not him. <laughs> okay, we're doing this bit. <laughs> I look. I'm gonna take a little bit of Rasheed Rice. Okay, just a little bit. Just a little bit of Rasheed Rice. You believe just, in Kadarius Tony and and Sky Moore and you're gonna take I, Rasheed I Rice. I believe. Okay, so I I legitimately believe in Kadarius Tony. My, but I don't believe in his hamstrings. Um, I, my belief in Sky Moore, let's say it's 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 the the Lord has given me its firmest test with Sky Moore, um, and my <laughs> and my faith, my faith wanes. Um, no, and then Rasheed Rice, like I think, is total bot. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> Drop him in round two. Then he's like a second he's a round spot. Pack. He's he round two there for Look, you. I'll put it this way. If I'm going to draft any of these bum-ass wide receivers, like, at least I'll just take the one with Mahomes. I don't even think he's, like, I don't. Sure. he's not even considerably more pricey than all these other wide receivers that are bad. Um, but at least if he's, like, this is the difference between Rice and Mingo for me is, like, if I'm wrong about Mingo and he's good, like, it probably won't be that hard to just trade for him. Or I probably just won't even care anyway. Like, I heard, like, 
right, one, one of the upside comps that um, I forget who somebody I was talking to might have been Pat Crane. I can't remember. One of the upside comps somebody brought up for, for Mingo was Michael Pittman. Um, and like, obviously that's a massive win if you draft Jonathan Mingo in the early second and he's Michael Pittman. But at the same time, it's like, if I miss out on Michael Pittman, my life is fine. Like my life really is fine. Um, you could have traded for him after year one anyway. If you didn't, you're surviving. If Rasheed Rice is good against all odds, like I don't know, he's with Mahomes. That's a little scary. Like you're not you're not trading for him, right? Once once somebody flashes with Patrick Mahomes, then he's he's untradeable. So you can't get him. So I want like two shares. Um, no, I think that the I think to me there's like four tiers of the draft. There's like the really exciting first six. Let's just right. quickly, before you get into the rest of the tiers, I want to talk one more player in this middle of round two hotspot that you love. We have Ty J Spears going at 208, so he's your dude then. I heard he doesn't even have an ACL. That's him, isn't it? Do I have that wrong? Yeah, that's another guy that I... I'm actually... I want to phrase this so it doesn't sound mean. I'm appreciative of the injury news in the sense that like obviously, I would rather him, you know, have a long, healthy career uninhibited by such injuries. He's a profile that, in a vacuum, was one of the few running back profiles that I had no interest in. Um, but now I think people are fading him for like silly reasons, right? Like I don't actually care. Well, I mean, ACL is a silly reason. I think it's a silly reason to fade a a like mid round running back. Like, well, we're worried about the longevity of Ty J Spears's career. Like, I'm not. I'm not worried about the longevity of the career of the running back that I take at the 210. Like, and and what we're concerned, we're like we're concerned that he's going to bust. Like, yeah, I'm concerned that every player that I draft after like the 109 is going to bust. Like, I think that's the likely outcome for most of these players. Like, I so to me, it's just silly. Like, to me, it doesn't make any impact on his ceiling, and it doesn't make any impact on his immediate production. And that's all I care about if I'm drafting like a mid-round rookie running back. So Why I'm actually drafting some of him then, because he falls to me. He's like not going to have immediate production. He's playing behind Derrick Henry, isn't he? Am I getting the wrong guy? Yeah, there's some contingent value. Like I, I, I think he basically he's he's fallen to me. Like I've got him at like the 303. I've got him at the 302. So, so then you do not him. like the middle of the second round. I, here's why I like the middle of the second round. I, before you interrupted me, I think that there's generally like five groups to this draft. So we have like the exciting first six, right? Like the one, the one six is great pick. Although it's a little annoying. I just keep getting trolled. All I ever get the one Oh six is CJ Stroud, which is like a fine, but it's the most boring pick on earth. Um, then, then you get like this little mini pocket of the wide receivers with pretty good profiles um, with, you know, Quentin Johnston, Addison flowers. Then after that you get, it's like the, all the bum players that you mentioned, but you also get a chain, the three top tight ends, Charbonnet, they're going Miller. Before that. They're, I'm, they're going after the three wide receivers. They're going in from the late first into the mid second. So I like to be at the mid seconds so that I get the last of these players, right? Like I want to just be collecting whoever falls out of, here. out of the Miller, Charbonnet, a chain, Kincaid, Meyer, Laporta, Mims. I want to collect the last of these players. Okay. There's this, you probably never heard of this. There's this website. It's called bulletproofff.com. Yeah, and they I'm have ADP at it right now. And the, yeah. on the ADP, it shows you specifically what the average draft position is of these players. And uh, all those guys you just said that you like, like Dalton Kincaid and Devin A. Chain and Michael Meyer, 
etc are all gone by 202 right and have you ever considered that adp is follows a normal distribution it Isn't actually it does it's been proven out hayden winks is actually proving this that adp follows a normal distribution so if you want to be able to draft players you want to be sitting sort of right after where the average draft position volume favorite players are and then you're just going to get whichever one of those falls to you yeah, like 30% of the time you can get Michael Meyer at 205. Okay, but then you but right on the yes, site. This is the issue. Okay, but this is what you're missing. You take the 30% that Michael Meyer falls to you, and then you add whatever percent Aching falls to you, and then you add whatever percent Charbonnet falls to you, and you add whatever percent Miller falls to you, and you add whatever percent any other guys that I mentioned falls to you. And then you get this aggregate percentage, which is the percentage chance that somebody falls to you. And that's what I'm interested in, is the 11% chance on that HN. somebody... Right, so you add this all together, it's going to be like 80%. And also, yeah, if, yeah. and if not, Mims and Laporte are... 4% on there. Kincaid. We might get to 50%. 50% of the time, you get one of these guys at 205. Yeah, but I, but you're not mentioning... You're continuing to not mention that Marvin Mims and Sam Laporte are available like 100% of the time. Yeah, in like round three... Look, this is the thing. You can't look, you get too tied up in the ADP and not into the micro markets. I promise you on guys, because you don't actually do rookie drafts, is the thing. You don't actually play Dynasty anymore. You just analyze Dynasty in theory. Um, I'm in the streets with the people. Look, if you go to your home league with the home league bros, yeah. you can probably, 20, you're probably looking at a 210 Marvin Mins. But if you go into the, if you go into the Laporta at 208, 20%. And again, who is the 20%? The 20% are Apparently the, IPA it's you. Sipping, the IPA sipping, campus to Canton surfing people. That's what you're seeing in Sam Laporta. So like, if you look at a sample of my leagues, and it's not an insignificant sample. I played 57. I, I guarantee you if you aggregated the ADP in my leagues versus the ADP of the masses, it's, it's a wildly different economy. Everybody should know right. the economy of their leagues. So 20, the way I look at it, it's like... So I set my tiers, which starts off in a vacuum, where I have Laporta ranked, I don't know, somewhere absurdly high for CDP. I'm ranked like the 202, and I have Mims at the 205. And then I'm not drafting them there in general, because I'm drafting whoever falls. I'm drafting, oh, Michael Mayer fell to me. Oh, Danny Chain fell to me. Zach Charbonnet fell to me. And then if none of the players fell to me, and it's and then it's that's when I'm taking the Mims and the Laportas. It's like, oh, none of the players telling me now I have players in a separate tier from everybody else. I'm taking the players that I want here because they're <clears> the only <throat> players left in that tier. And then I'm also getting additional Mims and Laportas on the occasions, which has actually been pretty rare in my leagues, that it actually reflects ADP. And I'm sitting at the 211. I'm like, oh my God, I can actually draft Barbara Mims at ADP. What an incredible day. So basically what your stance is, is just to summarize, if you can draft a player well after their ADP, you should do that. I can you're always going to be able to do that. You're always going to be able to do that because ADP is normally distributed. My stance is <laughs> I, I'm more than at Like my stance is at the 205. My absolute worst case scenario is I'm getting Marvin Mims. And then the more likely scenario is that one of the other players that I like is going to fall to me. Whereas at the 207, my worst case scenario is that I'm drafting a player that I have literally no interest in whatsoever. Yeah. All right. No, I get it. Like you're saying if one of the guys you like at the late one, early two falls to the mid second, then you like the mid second. And I would too, 
if the players that I like fall a half round, I'm going to love that spot in the draft. I totally get it. And one of them always will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas you're like the worst spot in the draft is the 112, right? Like that's or the 111. That's the worst spot in the draft because then you're taking the first of several guys that are the same. Um, and then I think the second worst spot in the draft is the late two. Unless Mims and Laporte are there, but it just never happens in my leagues. Um, and if you listen to this show, I'm going to guess that it's less likely to happen in your leagues than the masses as well. Because um, then to me, you're just taking like there's a run of running backs that I think are mostly the same. Again, like Aitchin, Charbonnet, Miller are the guys that have a reasonable chance of standalone value. And then you have all the running backs that have a bunch of contingent value. And I don't even really agree with how the market prioritizes them. Like Roshan Johnson and Ty J Spears are usually the first to go. I don't even think they should be the first to go. I'm more interested in Tank Bigsby. Um, I'm probably like the same degree of interest in like Chase Brown and Zach Evans. Um, so that's where I want to be. If I'm if I'm picking at like the 111 or the 112, my dream trade is to get like the 205 and honestly like a mid third is fine for me because I'm probably getting the same level of player the 25 in most cases that I'm getting at the 111 and then I can draft an extra share of Zach Evans or something. And, and the other fun thing about the third is the tight ends. I would ask if you've done this, but you haven't you don't actually play Dynasty, but have you done any of the mid third Green Bay Packers tight end double taps? That's one of my favorite moves. Is that you take Musgrave and you take Tucker Craft. For what it's worth, I play in 11 dynasty leagues. Uh, most of them have though are them well, half of them are Debbie yeah. now, and most of the Debbie drafts happen before the NFL draft. My leagues that draft after the NFL draft have not drafted yet, so I have not double tapped any Green Bay Packers wide receivers at this juncture or tight ends. I mean, tight ends. Or, or no, I don't receiver. want their wide receiver. I want their tight ends. Yeah, I don't really – yeah, no. It's going to be a hard pass for me on the wide receivers. Uh, I am very interested in uh, one of their um, – actually, I'm very interested, I believe, in both of their tight ends. Right. So that is very That's exciting. what I mean. I like both their tight ends. One of them has a really good profile, and the other one is a tight end. <laughs> and then both of their are not for me. Well, one of their profiles is terrible, but he's athletic. So one of them has a really good profile, and the other one is just an athlete who plays tight end. And and both hills are good enough for me. Um, yeah. Interestingly, right. just really quickly, okay. interestingly, what I found when I went through all of my process for tight ends is that being an athlete at tight end is enough, as long as you're drafted early enough. Yeah. Yeah. You may yeah, not it was be... kind of funny when I was writing my walkthrough because I was going through all these wide receivers where I was like, nitpicking all their crappy little profiles and i was like yeah this person didn't produce this person didn't produce this person had this little split and that's all bad whatever and then when i got to luke musgrave i was like luke musgrave didn't produce at all for three years produced a lot for two games got hurt and i was like and and in, in this case he plays tight end and he's athletic so that's actually good enough for me and i want him in every single draft <laughs> which is pretty much <laughs> yeah it, it's wild um, to me like when I went through the whole process again on tight ends, like my, I think my tight end process is probably my best process at this point. It's super cool where you can like pinpoint exactly how much production doesn't matter. Like I, I was when I first did my tight end process, just because like literally nobody did it before. Um, I was I didn't really know where to start. I just like went well, wide receiver one works. Why don't we check all that on tight ends? And it was like pretty good. Uh, and then, yeah, but it wasn't like capturing any of these like freaky athletes. And it was like, that was the consistent miss. 
And then I went through it again and I was like, holy sh- wow, you literally just have to be an athlete at tight end. That's all that matters. And it's wow. It's great. Yeah, like I think if, if, if you're betting on an asset like retaining value and being a usable piece in your lineup for the next five years, I feel like a lot better about Laporta and Mayer than I do Musgrave. But if we're simply talking about what are the odds this player is a top three tight end, I think the odds are like pretty similar. And if anything, I might even take Musgrave because Laporta and, Laporta and Mayer are, are really low ADOP players. So um, let's so maybe like, get into some of these. Let me, let me give you a quick example for of tight ends with like absurdly absurd um, – uh, the athleticism metric I use is relative athletic score from Math Bomb on Twitter. And uh, the guys with it just like smashed at athleticism, but were like virtually unproductive or entirely unproductive are like Travis Kelsey, Jimmy Graham, Jordan Cameron, uh, Logan Thomas, who all had top five seasons. And that's a huge, like, two of those guys are like two of the best tight ends we've ever seen. And then we got Benjamin Watson, Mike Jacecki, LJ Smith, Kobe Fleener, Ben. I don't know who this guy is. Ben Trupe. He's from like 2012 or 2004. I don't know who that is, but uh, like none of these guys were productive in college to any standard that we would normally look for from say a wide receiver. And it's just, it's just fantastic. You love it. You love it. Anyways. Um, Let's get into some of these questions that I designed for Matt's uh satisfaction we're gonna get actually youtube friendly segments so hashtag you're welcome matt (laughs) hashtag you're welcome matt wow oh that's a good one like a welcome matt oh wow that is something (laughs) unintentional welcome matt that's almost as good as zay flowers full bloom um so many many potential names for the show already amazing who is the player you are most likely to trade up for in 2023 rookie drafts? The player I'm most likely to trade up for in 2023 rookie drafts is none other than Quinton Johnston. And the reason for that is because he's incredible and I would just like to roster him. Need I go further? <laughs> Please. Um, yeah. I... Yeah. So, like, the, the appeal of Quinton Johnson is that he's very large, and I still like large players more than small players, even though the small players are overrunning the NFL. I think uh, when we still see, like, the, the new age of really, really high end producers are still large. Like, Justin Jefferson is not a small guy. Uh, Jamar Chase is not a small guy. Like, these are the next evolution of, they're smaller than the last ones. Like Julio Jones was 6'3", 220. Jamar Chase is 6'1", 205. Like they're certainly smaller than they used to be, but they're still not 180, 185 pounds. Like I'm still, I still like the bigger players, generally speaking. Uh, all, all else being equal, I'm not going to draft a player just because he's big, even though he's terrible, like Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo looks like an alpha, but he plays like he should be on the bench, which is not good. So Quinton Johnson has that like alpha profile or prototype profile that we're looking for. He's productive throughout his college career. He played on like a really talented team that I think maybe lost in the championship game this year. Is that right? I don't have that wrong. That's correct. Yeah. Do you know how many yards he had in the championship game? What's that? Do you know how many yards he had in the championship game? I don't think very many. I think a lot of people are knocking him for a poor performance right. against. Do you want to guess defense. how many though? Zero. It's three. 
it's pretty close to zero, approaching zero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like the fact he, he had played a big, on a, he had a big game against game. Michigan in the semi though, where he had that drag route that uh, the guy took a really bad angle on, and then he like jogged for seven yards to the end zone after. Dude's a stud. All I have to say is he put that guy in a position to take that bad angle because he's so freaking good. Uh, what it really comes down to though is he has a really unique profile that we I don't know if we've really ever seen anything like this. He's like a deep threat that also can't catch, but then he's also like a yak machine. Like it's just a really strange profile that's kind of exciting because I feel like he has two avenues to potentially excel in the NFL. And if he does both well in the NFL, then he could be really special. And and then he got drafted in the first round, which we like. And then he got drafted to Justin Herbert's team, which is like the number one offensive volume team since Justin Herbert came into the NFL, which is also really exciting. And the guys that are already there will probably nuke him a little bit in his rookie year. Like I would imagine he's going to have like a Rashad Bateman rookie year where he gets like a 15% target share and we, we debate whether or not that's good enough because he's playing with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Uh, Mike Williams will probably be moving on after this year, and Keenan Allen is, I don't know, 31 or so. So I think he's got a pretty clear path to a future uh, future alpha workload if he's up to the task. And that alpha workload could come in a really, really efficient and really, really good offense and really, really high volume. And that's what dreams are made of when it comes to fantasy football. Be really good in a really good offense where there's a, like just a waterfall of volume. And uh, I'm excited. You can get him at the 107, and you might even be able to get him at the 109, like, I don't know, 12% of the time. So I really yeah, you like get him at the 108 yeah. almost half the time. It's like if you look at the – if you go to the Bulletproof ADP tool, one of the really fun parts is that you can look at the percentage that each player goes at each pick. And Johnston and Addison are pretty – like, it's not quite a coin flip, but it's like a weighted coin flip. It's like – it's. Like Johnson's probably going to go with the one seven, but it would not be a surprise when Addison goes to the one seven. So if you're, it's not, it, yeah, it's like it's like a fifty fifty. It's fifty five percent is yeah. what he's going at the or what, no, he's available fifty five percent of the time at one oh eight. So yeah, because sometimes people do weird so stuff. Wild. Like sometimes people don't even take Addison or Johnston. If, yeah. if you're playing in like a sharper league, flowers if you're playing there. a sharper league without weirdos. You're almost always going to see Johnston and Addison going in some order seven and eight. But I have seen a Will Levis 107. It was especially tilting because I was on the clock at 106 on a team that already had Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, and Brock Birdie. And I was like, can anyone please trade out for CJ Stroud, Bueller, anyone, anyone? <laughs> Everybody's like, no. And then the 107 comes on the clock, immediately takes Will Levis. And I was like, you didn't want to give me anything for CJ Stroud? And then you took Will Levis at the 107. What are you doing? <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. So, yeah, he's – I really like late You were just you were ambivalent. You were like, Stroud falls to me, Levis falls. Same thing. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Both the same. But he's my guy. Like, uh, if I'm sitting – 109, 110, one, even 108. I'm trying to move into that 107 spot and get one of those those first guys. And primarily, it will be Quinton Johnston, who I very much would like to take at 107. I think he's probably the the steal of the draft and the player that I want over all other players, given cost. So what what are you? What are like some ideas? Let's say you don't have a pick like the 109, 110. Like what what are some things? Would you okay? Would you trade a 24 first for Quinton Johnston? 
I'd trade a 24 first if I think my team's solid or I think it's going to be a late pick, even though I tell people not to do that. But I feel like I'm pretty yeah. aware of if my team's going to be good or not. Oh, I also do that. It's a do as I say, not as I do yeah. situation. It's like a, like, yeah. The reality is, like, if I look, if I, if I trade my own first and it turns out to be earlier than I thought it would be, I'm okay owning that L. But I'm not okay giving other people advice that could be to their detriment. So it's you know, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a slippery slope. Um, but yeah, yeah, if I if I'm sitting there and I'm like, ah, oh, this I got a pretty solid team. And like usually, if I have a pretty solid team, like I have like a juggernaut team, it's not like uh, I hope I make the playoffs. It's like if I don't finish as the number one team, something's gone cataclysmically wrong. So if I got right. one of those teams and somebody's like, yeah, you can have Quinn Johnson for your first, yeah, take it. Sure, let's go. Um, because I think Quinn Johnson could, you know, he's probably gonna raise in value and then be more expensive next year. And then also he could just smash like Mike Williams or Keenan Allen getting injured is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, yeah. in fact, and Keenan Allen, I mean, at this point, Keenan Allen's in the Keenan Allen's fully in the marble zone, too. Um, so yeah, he could just a great Adam Harstad piece about aging where it's like you're it's not like a gradual decline, it's like you reach into a bag grab a marble each year there's more black marbles that represents the chances you just can't play football anymore yeah. keenan allen's bag has a lot of black marbles at this point so yeah it could happen yeah. at any moment <laughs> yeah any moment he could be done and then we have quinton johnson catching passes from justin herbert and the latter half of his rookie year could be really productive and like like starter on a fantasy championship team productive so i'm pretty interested right. in getting yeah I mean, I'm noted as not as big of a fan of Mr. Quentin Johnston. I'm not like, I'm not out on Quentin Johnston. The landing spot is also incredible with with the with the Chargers for sure. Like if he hits his apex, combine that with this landing spot, and it's it's he's going to the moon. My general stance on Quentin Johnston is that I just he's probably the player that I have like the least confident take on in any direction so i'm probably just going to be at market and just not let him determine my year um the good of johnston is basically everything that drew said he, he hits all the minimum production thresholds he's built for tough uh comes out as an early declare downsides of johnston is that his, his ceiling production has never actually been that high he's he's like been at the thresholds but he's never actually shown an ability to dominate a really large amount of volume at any point over his college career. Also has been a guy who has both been in a lot of contested catch situations and not had a lot of success in those situations. So essentially he's struggled to get open and then he struggled to win when not open, which is a dangerous combination. We've seen guys like a T Higgins or a Drake London, for instance, be guys who have a high percentage of contested catch situations but then they win those at a really high rate. Another distinction that I made about Drake London was like, yes, his percentage of contested catch production is high, but his overall production was so insanely high that his raw amount of non-contested catches is still much higher than most people's percentage of non-contested catches. Like in the sense of like, if you take, you know, 60% of a hundred, it's more than 40% of 80 or whatever. I don't know what the math is, but you know what I'm trying to say? Um, Johnston, not that case. Like he was really reliant on those contested catches to meet these thresholds. His profile looks a lot like T Higgins to me, like a lot like T Higgins to me. Um, except for the fact that T Higgins has always been a lead in those situations. Johnston isn't 
what Johnston has over T Higgins and over almost any wide receiver is that he's like, might be a generational yards after the catch option. Um, he's literally off the charts. If you read my uh, rookie column, like there's a chart and then Johnson's basically not on the chart because um, his yards after the catch is so good. Um, and he's been able to create yards after the catch mostly on intermediate and deep routes. If you isolate for screens, he's not actually been that efficient on screen passes, but he's been really strong at when he has a running start, he has defenders in disadvantageous positions. He's able to really create a ton of yards after the catch in those situations. So I think he could be a mega smash. I also think he's a volatile prospect. I'm taking him at the 107 for the most part, just because I want to make sure that I get my market exposure. I actually still do prefer Jordan Addison in a vacuum. I, I do have Addison ahead of him in my rankings. Uh, and that's because I'm a beta soy boycock. That's the reality. That's who I am. Uh, I know myself. I want Jordan Addison and his skinny little chicken legs. Um, mostly because I, I feel better about him fulfilling the role that I want a rookie wide receiver to fulfill, which is if I'm thinking about upside, Johnston un undisputably has the higher upside in a vacuum between the two of them because of the landing spot. But ultimately when I'm trying to look for rookie wide receivers mostly is I want them to accrue value. And then I want to trade them for either elite producing running backs for wide receivers or potentially for elite quarterbacks and tight ends. And so to me, it's less about that individual ceiling as a player and more about who's going to be able to reliably accrue in value. And then I can use that value. I feel like Addison's honestly is the cleanest profile of the entire class, like probably even more than JSN um, just because JSN still relying on the one year Addison early breakout, tons of production at Pitt. He declined to USC, but I'll bring up a note from Ben Gretsch who went into his per route numbers and his targets per route run, yards per route run at USC was almost exactly the same as at Pitt. He just ran a lot less routes. I don't know if that was because they were rotating guys. That was just because they were up 42 to nothing at halftime. Not entirely sure, but I'm not concerned about him necessarily at all. I think he's an easy hit, walks into a day one full-time route share, uh, and, and I think he's a guy that we can sell for a profit. That's probably the guy that I like a little bit more in that tier, but I understand the Johnston argument. I, I'm not going to push back on it as severely now that he has the, the better landing spot. I, I'm i concerned that I have Jordan Addison's wrong numbers for his final year if what you're saying is true because I got him at like 20% market share. Yeah, no, I said his numbers, like his – Team-wide market share numbers are lower in his junior year than his sophomore year. Like, like half. Per route numbers. Like literally half. Yes. That his per route numbers are stable. So his like yards per route run, targets per route run are stable year two to year three. But his total numbers in terms of his market share are lower because he wasn't running as many routes. He wasn't running as high a percentage of the routes. Which to me, that alleviates some of my concerns about him declining when he goes to USC. Um, which, of course, what? shows up on his market share. Why would that... like? So I'm maybe, again, I'm concerned that I have the wrong numbers here. I got him for 1.89 yards per team pass attempt. And you're saying it's okay that his yards per team pass attempt is so low because once he played with real prospects, he didn't get to see the field as much? They were blowing teams out by a million, and he was, like, resting in the third quarter and fourth quarter. All the Is that what was happening? That's – I mean, USC blowed teams out by a million. I don't know, like, what percentage of it was due to blowouts and what percentage of it was due to rotation – but I'm also just not concerned about a rotation. Like he's Jordan Addison, he's a stud. He got drafted in the first round. If they were rotating, he's Quentin like Johnson. Weird, he's like, a stud. He got drafted in the first round. 
Yeah, but Quentin Johnson might not be a stud. That's my concern. Like, we actually have a ceiling of Jordan Addison being legitimately dominant at Pitt. At Pitt! And then he carried... Quentin Johnson was at TCU. Who cares? They're the you know, freaking runners-up of the best team in the world! They're not a good team, but not because they had other good receivers. Who's Name another TCU wide receiver. I don't know. I don't know anyone yeah, who exactly. isn't getting drafted. Yeah, oh, okay. So then the comment was the same. <laughs> and Pitt was good that year with Jordan Addison, in large part because of Jordan Addison, but they won the they won the ACC that year. Wasn't that because of their first-round quarterback? I, I would argue that Jordan Addison is probably the sole reason that Kenny Pickett got drafted in the first round. If Jordan Addison went know, to USC a year he, earlier, he might, we might not have ever heard of Kenny Jordan Pickett. Addison has a ceiling in the NFL is because Kenny Pickett was so good that he just fed him repeatedly. And then he went to Caleb Williams, the best quarterback we've ever seen, and was like, we'd rather pass than virtually everyone else. Yeah, that's not actually what happened, but uh, that is certainly one way to look at it. Um, I have these guys 1718. I'm not trading up for either of these guys. I'm taking them when I'm sitting here. Uh, and, and, I, and unfortunately, like the asking price to go from either of these guys to the top six is so steep that I'm also not trading up from these guys. And then I don't have any faith below the one nine and any of these players is really rock solid bets. So I'm also not trading out. I'm just, I'm just taking these guys when I'm there and, and that's kind of it. Um, guy that I'm most likely to trade up for is Jameer Gibbs. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is the sole guy in the two through six range that I actually like at his ADP independent of his rookie ADP, like in terms of in a startup, he's the only guy that I would be actively trying to target in a startup with all of the other players available. So my strat with Jameer Gibbs is anytime that I have the 103 or later and I'm on the clock and Gibbs is there, I instantly click his name. Anytime that I don't have a pick in the top six and Jameer Gibbs falls below the 13, 1-4, 1-5, 1-6, Immediately, I'm sending an offer, and then I'm just going to see just how much exposure that I can get to Jameer Gibbs. Uh, he's everything that I want in a rookie pick, which is that he plays a position that historically retains his value very well, running back. Uh, and he is an absolutely obscene receiving prospect. His receiving yards market share up over 19% is basically wide receiver breakout level. Jameer Gibbs is a running back is coming closer to breaking out than, frankly, several of the wide receivers that were drafting in round two and three of rookie drafts. Um, and he did not actually play receiver. He led Alabama in receptions, which is pretty insane for a running back prospect. Also, was a guy who, as a full receiving profile, this was not like the Travis Etienne profile where it's like, oh, he has, he's getting utilized in the receiving game on a bunch of screens and a bunch of swing passes. The team wants to get him on the ball. That's exciting. He's the full package as a receiver. He's a guy, a lot of Noah Hills is charting on rope diversity uh, on Jameer Gibbs that I looked into, especially at Georgia Tech, and this even still carried over to extent in Alabama. He was running angle routes and wheel routes, advanced running back routes, at a rate over double the FBS average for running backs, and he was being targeted at a rate over double the FBS average when he was running those routes versus other running backs. So it's a guy who's running, this team is saying, you're such a good receiver, we want to be able to get you creative downfield receiving usage. And then he's performing so well on those routes. He's getting absolutely peppered with targets when he's running them versus other backs. Only concern with him really is the 199. And to me, that's just a concern that's going to be something that we could deal with 
later. He's going to be used creatively in Detroit. We've seen Detroit be the perfect landing spot for a running back like this. We saw DeAndre Swift get one of the most tailored usage patterns in the NFL last year. They were using him creatively in the receiving game a ton. They were peppering him with targets every time that he was out there. That's going to be Jameer Gibbs' role. They also ran a lot of jet motion packages for James Williams at the end of the year, for Khalif Raymond at the beginning of the year. I think Jameer Gibbs takes over that, especially for the first six weeks. They get him used on tap pass. They get him used on reverses. They're going to use him on special teams, of course. We're going to see a lot of fun stuff out of Gibbs. And then I think what we get to do is, is we get to watch him accrue value, potentially contend for Dynasty RB1, RB2 overall by the end of next year. And then we get to see how he performs as an actual rusher over the course of the year. And to me, if he looks like he's going to be eventually a guy like a McCaffrey or Kamara or a Charles who ascends from a change of pace plus receiving guy into a workhorse eventually, I'm just going to keep buying and if he looks like a guy who's probably just going to stay as that receiving only guy, like a CJ Spiller, like a Reggie Bush, then we're, then we'll sell later. But I, I'm really excited about getting in on the ground floor because I think if he hits his full ceiling, it's it's like 25 point per game or breaking fantasy type of ceiling, which I don't know that anybody in this class after B. John Robinson and Anthony Richardson has that level of ceiling. Yeah, I think uh... – I, I love Gibbs. I'm not going to push back on any uh, any pro Gibbs chatter other than I don't love him at ADP. I think he's fine at ADP. I'm like, I'm like okay with it. He's going at 307. He's going like two full rounds ahead of Quentin Johnson, which is a little bit wild to me. Uh, yeah, two but full he should be going like four full rounds ahead of Quentin Jordan Addison, pretty wild to me. Like, yeah, is, he's going pretty up there. Like he's going. Where would you uh, rank Gibbs among going, dynasty running backs? How many dynasty picks, running backs would you take? Ahead two of startup picks after Saquon Barkley seems a little steep. Yeah, to you me. should be going ahead of Saquon Barkley by a considerable margin. I think. Yeah, I don't. Saquon think Barkley like is a second contract running back. He's going to be twenty six years old. Like, yeah. what would you say to Jameer Gibbs already being the RB two overall in dynasty? Because I think yeah, there's no, a case for it. Absolutely, not where I'm at. But I haven't. I'm. I'm not even entertaining that. That no hard pass. Are, are you like in Jamar Gibbs ahead of Bijan Robinson territory at this point? No, no. Bijan Robinson is the undisputed RB one overall. Okay, in good. Class good. in Dynasty. But then you have the and generational is and Taylor. And I think RB two is an open discussion. We have Jonathan Taylor, who great running back, probably the best actual running back in the NFL. Already limited in the receiving game to some extent. I, I had, I think, reasonable hopes that he could be like a Zeke-level receiver. I think those hopes no longer exist because they just drafted Anthony Richardson to play alongside him for presumably the rest of Jonathan Taylor's meaningful career. So now it's like, what's the, what's the scenario for, for Taylor? It's like he's probably, it's, it's probably more Henry-ish, right? It's like you're going to get super efficient he's, rushing because he's already awesome. And then Anthony Richardson's probably going to make him an even more efficient rusher with how they're going to operate in the zone read. And he's going to get all of the carries. It's not going to be like Nick Chubb, most likely at least. I don't think Evan Hall is going to come in and steal his lunch. So he's going to get a ton of carries. They're going to be super efficient. He's probably going to score touchdowns depending on if their offense is any good, which it might be, it might not probably be. Probably is not. But like 30 receptions. 40 receptions feels kind of ceiling-y. So I, I'm here for 
arguments of Gibbs over Taylor. I'm not, I'm not going to put it that way yet, but I think it's likely I'll be that way in like week four. And then Hall, like I think if, if we knew for sure Hall was healthy, he's indisputably RB2. Heard nothing but positive reports on his ACL. But he's still coming off a torn ACL. There's there's risk that implied there. And then you get into McCaffrey and Barkley, and it's like they're pretty darn old. Um, you know, like Jameer Gibbs has a, has a legitimate opportunity to keep this value for four or five years. Those guys don't. Like those guys, you are buying the points, and, and that's it. You're probably never selling them for more than they already have right now. So I think that there's an argument. I think Jameer Gibbs should be a second-round startup pick, honestly. Nope, I disagree. <laughs> I okay, think, how about I, this? I, Jameer I, Gibbs versus um, – well, okay, where do you have Jameer Gibbs versus the quarterbacks? Well, technically, I like him better than the quarterbacks. Right, okay, there you go. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to – like maybe a second-round sort of pick, but like – yeah, I don't know. It's – now that I'm looking at it, you're like, yeah, I like him at ADP. I'm like, ah, in the third round, that's too early. I'm looking at the ADP now. And I'm like, well, I'd rather have Cal Pitts. Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah. And then after that, I'm like, I'd probably like he'd be equal with Saquon. I'd probably prefer Saquon. Yeah, I would. I'm I would certainly pay, not taking Kenneth Walker ahead of him, and Kenneth Walker is going ahead of him. That's insane. Yeah, well, tough, 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 tough draft for the Kenneth Walker slappies. And then, and then it's like Chris Olave. I'm like, yeah, I probably prefer Chris Olave. I guess they'd probably be the same. Yeah, that's one. Like, really I can kind of go like either way on the Olave and the London. It's like, like I don't. I'm. I mean, on the bright side, I'm like 100 certain that Chris Olave and Drake London are really good and going to be really good for a long time. But I would also say, like, most likely by week three, I'm valuing Jameer Gibbs over them. Once I'm like, once once I'm like sure that Jameer Gibbs is good, just because Jameer Gibbs, I mean, Jameer Gibbs' ceiling is that he's going to see seventy percent as many targets as Drake London and Chris Olave, but also get two hundred carries, um, which is just obviously way better. <laughs> so, like, he, Jameer Gibbs at his ceiling is going to score so many more points than Drake London and Chris Olave that I can see the argument. I. Right now, I prefer those guys, but I would take. I know this isn't this isn't what the ADP suggests, but I would take Jameer Gibbs over Jalen Waddle. Take Jameer Gibbs over Amon Ross St. Brown. I take Jameer Gibbs over T. Higgins. I don't think I'm doing any of those things. I, I, mean, I might take him over T. Higgins, but I'm not taking him over Amon Ra or Jalen Waddle. I don't think. Maybe I don't know. Maybe well, Jalen. What's the difference between? I'm not taking over Amon Ra. T. Higgins. Like, why would you prefer one and not the other? They're the same. Yeah, it's, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I would take him over Waddle. I'm not taking him over Amon Ra though. All right, that's absolutely fine. not. It's the same offense. Uh, Jameer Gibbs coming for those targets. It's over for Amon Ra. The bad news for Amon Ra St. Brown. But what does this mean for Amon Ra St. Brown? <laughs> what does it mean for Amon Ra St. Brown? Yeah, so I guess like maybe maybe Gibbs is slightly undervalued. I could see him moving up, you know, five, oh. six, maybe spots in uh, startup ADP. I don't know that he's a second round or maybe like two twelve if you really push it, but. Uh, to, to me, it's less about being undervalued as in, like, he should go here and he does go here. It's more like I'm just looking for guys that are scarce assets that I could foresee in a year being like, you can't trade for this guy. That's what I'm always looking for in rookie drafts. It's like, I can you find a guy that you can't trade for him and you can't trade for things like him? And that's, like, Gibbs has that potential where it's like, I, I foresee a universe where Jameer Gibbs is scoring 22 points per game 
not this year, but like next year. And he's either RB1 overall in Dynasty or he's like in a tier of two with Bijan and you can't get him and you can't really get anyone who's like him because the running back position as a whole is super rough. Whereas I don't foresee that with a lot of these wide receivers where it's like, yeah, you, you can trade for him. And if you can't, you could probably trade for somebody like him. I don't foresee that with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. I think like they're going to probably be really good. I think you can trade for, for players that can replicate them in your lineup pretty cost effectively. And that's why I'm like, I don't think, I think Anthony Richardson is overvalued, but I'm still willing to draft him because I foresee a, a ceiling where it's like, you can't trade for this guy. And that's, that's where I'm looking is like, if I'm especially on good teams, I'm just looking for guys that have that. You can't trade for me ceiling. Yeah. I, I think I Anthony Richardson is wildly overrated, but I'm still probably going to take him if I have a one Oh two, cause he's, he's like, creating some gap here like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are now 210 310 302 in startups. Anthony Richards is 204. Like that's a huge gap in a startup draft. So I'm probably just going to go ahead and take Anthony Richardson if I have to at 102 and uh I'm going to try to trade him though. I don't like I have very little faith in Anthony Richards and actually learning how to pass the football because nobody really ever learns how to pass the football. So yeah. But he is going to run the football and that's going to be pretty fun. Well, all right, maybe this leads us into our next question on the list, which is wait, 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 wait. That no, there was a thing. There was a thing I needed oh, to say about your, about your comments. You were saying you were talking about how you're the, the ceiling guy, ceiling, 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 and then you're telling me Jordan Addison over Quinton Johnson. Yeah, because you're looking at ceiling in a vacuum. But I don't if I'm looking at ceiling from a wide receiver, I'm not looking at the ceiling of that wide receiver. I'm looking at what am I going to trade this wide receiver for? So to me, the floor is the ceiling. The, the real ceiling isn't who's going to be better. It's who's going to be a better patch for crew more value that I can use to trade for players with actual ceilings. So if Quinton Johnson and Jordan Addison go out and both put up, let's say, 750 yards, who's right, going to be more valuable? That's Johnston, but I'm concerned. Like, I'm very confident that Addison's going to be good. I'm not as confident with Quentin Johnson. I don't think he's going to suck. Well, I, I just don't know what with Quentin Johnson. It wouldn't surprise me if he's awesome. It wouldn't surprise me if he's horrible. But but um, if they're both good. Right, but I don't, I don't think the likelihood of them being good is equal. So you're you're playing floor here. I'm playing ceiling in the sense that I look <laughs> at either of these guys. Both of these guys are an intermediate step. Both of these guys are one step the first step is draft them. The second step is flip them for something that scores an elite level of points. Like that's the path that I think is more likely than either of them scoring an elite level of points. So I want to take the guy who's more likely to be usable in trades to get something elite. So I'm looking at the floor to get the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, I know you're 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 chasing floor with Jordan Ass. I love it. Good, totally out of character for you. I love it. Wild, wild. New path to, to flow for Jacob Sanderson, floor chaser. Maybe that's what we should call the show, Jacob Sanderson, floor chaser. It's sure, great. You chase the floor to chase the ceiling. Okay, next question is who is the player? I, I've never seen you say this before. I, I'm, I'm in a stupor right now. I, I can't even – like these guys are drafted one pick apart in the NFL draft, and you're so much more sure that Jordan Addison is good than Quinton Johnston. Jordan Addison – has been outproduced by Quentin Johnson two out of three seasons in the college. 
I think that there's more concerns with Quentin Johnson's profile in terms how of can you be so how he's been able to produce. I'm not certain. I'm not at all certain. Then why wouldn't you just take the That's why I'm just taking team? these guys at ADB. Like, I'm literally just – I'm going to have a market at both. I'm going to take Johnston. I'm going to take Addison. Like, I'm and the market's decided that Johnston's going to be there. So, like, I'm, I'm not going to have eight Addisons and no Johnstons. I'm going to have, like, four Johnstons and four Addisons. Such a floor player. Jacob floor player. I'm, I don't want my year to be determined by players that I don't really have solid takes on. Like, I have enough players in this class that I have conviction what on. What happened to agnosticism? Is that your thing? I'm literally, this is the most agnostic thing I can be. I'm taking half Johnston. I'm taking half Addison. That's, I'm I can't not talking about what you're taking. You're saying that Addison, you have tremendously more confidence in. I don't, you keep adding adjectives like tremendously and extraordinarily. <laughs> and I, I don't reject those adjectives. I have, I, the adjective that, I, that you're looking for is marginally. I have marginally more. Oh, marginally. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and swing for the fence and hope that Quentin Johnson is, in fact, awesome like he is. And then uh, when he is awesome, I will be able to trade him for so much more than I'll be able to say Jordan Addison, who is also probably awesome for, because Quentin Johnson will have a very clear path to a very large target share and target volume based on Justin Herbert and no Justin Jefferson. It's all about the Justins with these guys. It's all about the Justins. <laughs> all right. I think it's just in time to move to the next question. Uh, so the question is, opposite of the last, maybe maybe we've already talked about this player, so maybe that'll save time, but who is the player? We just talked about the player you wanted to trade up for, which for you is Johnson, for you is Gibbs. Who's the player you want to trade out of most when they are the next pick on the board? So as in you go in, ADP says, this is the guy you should take, and you're like, I don't really want to do that. And so you're looking to field some trade offers. I guess, like, I'm going to go with Zach Charbonnet because I think he's not good. I think he's not going to produce. And I think he's the most valuable player that I have those feelings for. And if he was good, then I would maybe change my tune. But I think Kenneth Walker is probably not terrible. And it's hard to envision two running backs that – coexist and are both kind of good. Like, I don't even think Jacques Charbonnet is that good of a pass catcher. I don't know why no, he's Pete not Carroll a thinks he is. Pass catcher. Um, yeah, I don't... It's a really like weird... This... It was such a It was such a bizarre... It was... In some ways, the pick made no sense and in some ways, the pick made perfect sense. It's like... Like... It upsets me so much because the whole point of Zach Charbonnet... Like his value to a backfield, he's not that good at anything, but he's adequately good at everything. And so the whole point of Zach Charbonnet is that you don't have to allocate any other resources in your backfield. It's like you just take him, you get competent play in all phases, and you get a backfield that's cost efficient for what you're getting. And the Seahawks decided, fuck that. We're going to take Zach Charbonnet to be a specialist, but he's a very unspecial specialist, which is so <laughs> super weird. Like if they I, I guess if you look Gibbs, it would have made sense to me. But the Charbonnet, you know what it made sense is taking terrible. Kenny McIntosh in round seven, which they did, but then not that would have been fine. Anyone else, right? They could have just taken <laughs> Kenny McIntosh to play on third downs, let Ken Walker handle the rest, and their backfield would be like really should have just traded a fourth round pick for DeAndre Swift. Yeah, that would have worked too. I think that the well, 
I think that the one area that they might be looking at here with Charbonnet that you wouldn't get out of Macintosh or Swift, and you, you certainly didn't get out of Walker in year one, is Walker's two areas of weakness is as a pass catcher, and then he was not he was he was not a high success rate player. He was a boom bust runner. He had pretty positive results on net, broke a ton of tackles, great breakaway runner, but he was consistently creating negative plays as well. Charbonnet is the opposite. Charbonnet is a chunk play runner. He's going to get what's blocked. He's going to get even at a really high success rate throughout college. Isn't a guy who's going to hit a ton of home runs for you. And the passing game stuff is kind of weird. Like, I don't know. I don't think like Seattle's never really used a pass back specialist. They like kind of tried to with CJ Procise for a while and it didn't really work out for them. I, I think that they look at Zach Charbonnet and it's like, he can at least be like a Chris Carson level pass catcher where it's like, we put him out there. He knows what he's doing. He's going to like absorb targets. Like, I don't think that they have, I mean, look at their receiving court. They have, they have one of the best receiving cores in the league now with, with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jack Smith and Jigba. I don't think they need to be scheming up targets to a running back. I think they just want a running back who knows what he's doing on third downs. And, and Zach Charbonnet can be that. And he can probably handle some short yardage carries and handle some level of carries from Ken Walker. And then Ken Walker can be used as more of that explosion back, who I still think leads the back field overall i see this backfield as something like something like a jarek mckinnon isaiah pacheco end of season split or like 2021 zeke pollard um or maybe maybe late 2022 zeke pollard actually is the better way of looking at it with like walker as the pollard who's like not actually getting a ton of pass down snaps that is getting more tailored usage on screens and stuff and then is getting like all of the fun carries and charbonnet is getting like the short yardage goal line and like the stay in and block on third and 10 usage. Um, that's kind of how I see this backfield going. I'm going to, is it possible to say both these players are overvalued? Like I think that Ooh. the gap between Charbonnet and Walker is too big considering that Walker was a second yeah. round pick who was inconsistent. And then they brought another second round pick into the backfield. So I think the gap between them is way too large, but I also don't think that Charbonnet is a value. Like, I think that Charbonnet is, like, moderately overpriced, and then Ken Walker is insanely overpriced. I don't think yeah. it's, like, one is a value and the other is, is not. I just think it's it's not actually that high yield of a backfield. They don't throw to backs very much. <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they get Zach Charbonnet in there and they're like, oh, Kenny McIntosh is better on third downs than you. And then it becomes, like, Kenny McIntosh plays on – because he is. Kenny McIntosh is a better pass catcher and a better pass protector than Zach Charbonnet. Like, love it. I don't know if they're going to do this because, like, they might just be like, wow, we burned a second round pick on Charbonnet. We better use him somehow. But if, if their backfield was a pure meritocracy, I think Kenny McIntosh would play every single passing down. Zach Charbonnet would get like five to eight short yardage carries, and Ken Walker would get 10 to 12 other carries, and none of them would be top 24 running backs. Yeah, that sounds more right to me. Uh, I think that Kenneth Walker is probably still going to be a top 24 running back. I think Zach Charbonnet is going to be like, probably a RB3 at worst, I would think, because I think they probably will force him into that that uh, square peg in the round hole type of thing. Exactly, yeah. And, they're going to justify uh, their pick. They have to, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's just going to be unpleasant all around. I just, I just like, I don't even know that Zach Charbonnet has a lot of Charbonnet. Has, is it Charbonnet? Charbonnet, right? Charbonnet. Like, yeah, like he's called like Charbo. Charbo. That's what I always do. It sounds dope. Charbo. So I don't even know, like, if I'm buying any of these players, I don't even feel like I'm getting a lot of contingent upside because I don't feel like any of them have 
independently high upside on their own. So I think Charbonnet has pretty high contingent up. Like I think Charbonnet has higher contingent upside than Walker. Yeah. I think if Charbonnet either got hurt or he just is bad and they never play him, like I I really do think that Kenny McIntosh or insert free agent off the street is still going to probably play more passing snaps than Ken Walker is going to play. Whereas if Walker got hurt, I could see Charbonnet just playing all of the snaps and you're like pumped to get him into your lineup. But I think that the exact same applies to Tank Bigsby. The exact same could apply to Zach Evans or Chase Brown. All these guys cost way less. Like what you're getting with Charbonnet and this applies to some other running backs that we'll talk about, but like what you're getting with a lot of these running backs that are going in the second and Charbonnet sometimes even going in the first late first is you're getting more assured contingent upside in the sense that you're quite sure that they're at least the backup. And then you're getting probably a much higher shot of like eight to 10 points per week as well. But that doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all if you're scoring 10 points per week. So it's really the contingent upside. And I don't think it's contingent upside is meaningfully different. Like if, if Ken Walker got hurt and if Travis Etienne got hurt, I think I'd rather have Tank Bigsby. I'd easily rather have Tank Bigsby. Like it wouldn't even be a conversation. It would be like, – I, I can't even put it into words. That's that's how little of a conversation it would be. Yes, yeah, so that's a good answer on Charbonnet. I have not been dra- – actually, I don't even think I've – I have one share of him in Debbie, but I I've, I don't I haven't drafted a single share of him in rookie draft so far. That's shocking um, because you really like floor plays, and he's got a reasonably high floor. He's going to score ten points a game, just like Jordan Addison. <laughs> uh, the player that I'm most likely to trade out of on the board, well, that's a pretty good one. Well, I'll put it this way: the player. Okay, I'm going to phrase this in terms of ADP. My leagues don't seem to apply here. Player that I'm most likely to trade out of when I'm on the board is CJ Stroud. Um, it has not <laughs> happened for me. I just continue to get stuck with CJ Stroud. Uh, I'm just going to rant for a hot second about how upset I am at the world. I was trading for all these 106s for months. I'm like trading up into the 106, trading back to the 106. Look, all these pre-draft rookie drafts are going off. Jameer Gibbs is always the 106. Maybe sometimes it's JSN. And and now it's it's... Like, I understand that if you go to Bulletproof ADP, that you'll see that CJ Stroud is the 104, that Gibbs the 105, that JSN is the 106. My personal grievances are that I have had the 106 so far in five rookie drafts. Four of the five I've been taking CJ Stroud, um, which is upsetting to me. Uh, I don't want CJ Stroud. Um, it's Here's definitely the, the pick that I would... Here, here's the thing with that, though, yeah, is that you're getting him at a fantastic value. Like, if you're getting the issue with that is like I'm getting him at a value in the context of a rookie yeah. draft, but am I getting yeah, him ADP, at a fantastic value in the wider context? ADP has strong correlation to future success as well, and ADP is fairly yeah. high on CJ Stroud. So, like, there is this is like the Gabriel Davis thing where it's like, well, if everybody thinks he's good, maybe he's just good. Everybody right. thinks I don't he's think he is good. good. I maybe he is good. And he, I think, I think he, is he is good. good. That's, I guess right. that's like, I think it's like, it's not the, right. It's just not a fun pick. I guess like what I would like to do is like most, the reality is, is like most of the one Oh sixes that I have, this is like kind of the sad joke of it all is that most of the one Oh sixes that I have, I exclusively targeted the one Oh six because I don't need a quarterback <laughs> because I'm like, I want to add JSN or Gibbs to this team because I need a skill player 
I'm set at quarterback, so I'm going to take the non-quarterback pick of the elite group, and then I continue to get stuck with quarterback on teams that don't need quarterbacks. So that's the pick that now I'm – sorry? I was going to say, instead of drafting the floor play with CJ Stroud, you can just take the ceiling pick like you're, you you know so frequently cite and just take, take Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. yeah, and what forego like what three four rounds of startup value? Hey, if your like league plan. doesn't value CJ Stroud as a top three round pick, then he's not a top three round pick in your league. It's true. Maybe I'll just take Jordan Addison. Um, <laughs> floor, yeah, floor, I think. The, but here's the issue, issue. like so. Like, I I think the unfortunate thing, the reason why I brought up CJ Stroud is like I, to be clear, I haven't had a lot of success trading out of CJ Stroud in any case. So maybe this is bad advice. But what I think is not going to work for you very well is trading CJ Stroud back in the draft because it's going to be like realistically to get CJ Stroud startup value, you probably need like one of Addison or Johnson and like another first. But that you're going to see sticker shock because people are going to be like, wait, I have to trade the 107 plus a 24 first for the 106. That doesn't seem right. Um, so you're not going to get success there. I think what you have to do is you either have to target a really quarterback needy team and trade Stroud for like things entirely unrelated to the rookie draft, like trade him for like Chris Olave or trade him for like Stefan Diggs or, or something like you have to just go entirely off the board of the rookie draft. Yeah. Or you try your darndest to find one of the owners, probably the Kyler owner um, or whoever else and be like, how much do I have to add on top of CJ Stroud to get your guy? Especially if you have a lot of picks, it's rookie draft season. People want to make picks. It's fun to make picks. I am entirely guilty of this where like if I can just make an even value trade that allows me to have the adrenaline rush of clicking draft uh, more often, I'm probably going to make that trade. Um, find that, find the owner of the elite quarterback in your league that doesn't have any rookie picks. Maybe they have other needs and go CJ Stroud plus whatever other picks you have in, in the late first, second, the third. See if you can find a deal that makes sense there. I think that's going to be more success because I've seen it. Like I've had people offer me like, the 110 and a mid-second for the 106 when I'm on the clock. And I'm like, that's not even close to CJ Stroud's value. And they're like, what? It's the 110 and the 25 for the 106. And I get it. That's what it seems like it should be. But there's just such a steep drop-off in value between the 16 and then everything else that you're just not going to be able to get the type of value you want trading back. If anything, you want to do the opposite. You want to be moving up into the into the top six. So that I want to move out of CJ Stroud, but I also think you have to do it in a bit of a creative way. Yeah, I, I was having the same issue. Um, this is one of my Debbie leagues, so we have already done our Debbie draft. But we, I made this trade before the NFL draft, and it was the same idea. I had Bryce Young. I was like, yeah, like he's fine, I guess. He's probably going to be good, but I'm not like in love with him from a fantasy perspective. So I ended. I was trying to get into like an elite quarterback, as as you, as listeners, you should be doing. Get into elite quarterbacks if you have one of these C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson types. So I ended up trading uh, Bryce Young. Tank Bigsby, pre-draft, of course. DeAndre Swift, pre-draft, of course. Jahan Dotson and DJ Moore. So, like, a fairly sizable haul. But I ended up getting Josh Allen in a 25-5 first back. And on a value perspective, it might be a little much. But I was on, like, I was over the roster limit. I had to cut guys that had value. If I was cutting someone to make room on my roster, I was cutting guys drafted in the second round. Like it was, it was going to be brutal. So I had to make a trade like this. Got it done. Super excited about it. Got me, got me some Josh Allen. This league is an absurd quarterback scoring league here. Like 
this is kind of a tangent in a in an entirely different vein, but you really need to understand the scoring settings of your leagues, especially if you're playing in non-cookie cutter leagues, and exactly how much these things impact scoring. Josh Allen in this league is scoring like an absurd amount of points. Like his value isn't normal Josh Allen value. It's right. not even like Josh Val- Allen value like one step up. It's like three more steps to Josh Allen value is what he's valued at in a league like this. Or at least that's how I value him in a league like this because of the absurd scoring. And it's not just like high scoring. It's high scoring for really good players, but f- the fucking bottom is like through the roof. Like you're penalized major for bad quarterback play. Like it's not – it's. Quarterbacks are routinely putting up like negative 20 points a week in this league. Not every week. Like nobody averages negative 20. Right. But like they can have negative 20 point weeks. And they <laughs> yeah, do it more than once that. a year. So like the 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 scale on your on your scoring, you need to understand how it's working and how it's impacting things. And then from that perspective as well, you need to understand what is giving you the floor. How do you not get that negative 20 point week and, right. and understand how that's playing into it? Anyways, the moral of the story is when you have a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young. It's going to be really, really hard to extract that value in your rookie draft. You need to go outside the rookie draft, go and find one of the mm-hmm. super elite players that you need to get into and uh, and just make it happen because they're they're just really overvalued. So I concur. Uh, and I'm really happy for you getting a bunch of like 103s and 106. That's great fucking news. Yeah, it's good news for people who love bad news. Uh, <laughs> a, are you a lot of guys who love drafting for four? Like, that's great. Do you get that reference? Are you a fan of Modest Mouse? I feel like you're not. I feel like you listen to, like, very basic music. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I wouldn't uh, even know that's so, music. Oh, my goodness. Um, for for the true – for the people who ride with me in, on music Twitter, uh, I noticed there's some people in the Discord that, that go back and forth with me on music takes often. Uh, Modest Mouse probably – probably my favorite band, my favorite artist is Elliot Smith. Modest Mouse is my favorite band. Their album, one of their album names was called Good News for People Who Love Bad News. Um, it's great. You should listen to it. You should get in, you should, you should embrace a higher echelon of music uh, instead of what I presume you listen to, which is just only Nickelback. Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, I'm, I'm a father, Jacob. You don't know man. about this yet. When you're a father and you have young children, you, uh, listen, you listen to, to Fred Penner? Disney music. <laughs> my my most played music is like Encanto and like Frozen and stuff like that. Okay. That's what I so listen let's say to. You're, okay, let's say you're on a road trip. No yeah. kids. Yeah, no. It's just you. You're just like, me. I don't know. You have to like drive somewhere for business or whatever. I don't know. Uh-huh. So you're driving like six hours um, on the open road. Mm-hmm. Like what, what CDs are, are we bringing? Are we bringing like the Rolling Stones? Are we bringing... Like just rap. Like are you're in your twenties. What are you talking about? CDs. CDs. You're older than CDs. Yeah, but when you go on a road trip, I want to actually, I want to feel the CDs. No, absolutely not. I want to. I want to. I want to make the CDs. Music. I'm listening to podcasts. See, I like. I love the old school vibe of a road trip, of burning the CDs, uploading the songs onto them, picking like a perfect eighty minute. I, I like I'm nostalgic enough now where it's like even if I can just do it off of Apple Music. Like I did this when my parents and I did a road trip from Winnipeg to Vancouver. Um we moved out here. Was like we weren't gonna actually make CDs because it was pointless. 
I was just going to use Apple Music, but I wanted the feel of the CDs. So I created all of the playlists in 80 minute increments. So it was like the exact length of a CD. So I'd made like all of these mixed CDs, but on Apple Music. Uh, anyway, shout out Modest Mouse. Um, so, next question yeah, is I, I will tell you, I do listen to music sometimes, but when I do, it's like the music from when I was like 20 years old or 18 years old so or even younger. No, it's not Nickelback. I did not really a Nickelback guy, not even in the Nickelback era. Uh, in fact, I played on a hockey team one time. Nickelback came to Saskatoon, where I am from. Well, I'm not from there, but you get the idea. And a bunch of the guys on our hockey team skipped the freaking game to go to the concert. I was so mad at every one of them. Anyway, the point is I listened to more like uh, – what would it be? Like um, like pop punk, I guess, from the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. So, like, so and you're like a big like, like Blink-182 guy? Uh, the killers, yeah, I guess they're all right, or they were all right. Oh, you've been killers guy, pop punk. No, I okay, I don't know what I listened to. It was like, name uh, name like any band, some 41. Oh, and, that's the worst. Oh, you're, so you're like an all American right. rejects guy, yeah, yeah, all American rejects. And I'm just trying to find some music. I like Eminem. Like, is it is it okay, bad to go. like Eminem still? No, it's like, I listen to Eminem, Eminem all the time. He's my favorite. Okay, there we go. So, and and then I'm like a '90s grunge guy too. Like, like give me the old like '90s grunge. Yeah, that's, that's I love I '90s grunge. Like, like are you like a like like Pavement, Pixies, Nirvana? Yeah, Nirvana. Like, yeah, like Pavement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all all that yeah, kind of okay. like we could, grungy we could '90s. That like, stuff. Love that stuff. Yeah. And then and then now what we often listen to with like dinner and stuff is like. Uh, like they have like those like like on the on Spotify they have like those like acoustic like playlists yeah. where it's like pop acoustic and, the, and then they like or like yeah. rock acoustic or whatever they like turn like popular songs into acoustic music which is pretty fun. So like this is know. the most sorry Matt portion of the episode ever. We yeah. like we were in the <laughs> and I'm not sorry. The podcast, people need to know. And we just went on a five minute tangent about our music taste <laughs> the people need to know these are the things that the people need to know while they're drafting listen to some nirvana while you're drafting okay yeah it could be like zay flowers and be in bloom <laughs> <laughs> okay best joke of the show of, of the history of the show well done love it you will be in nirvana if you draft zay flowers and he goes in bloom yeah it's great all right. Do we have um, any other questions? All right, sweet. Yeah, Are we, we have done? like several more actually. Um, okay. Hashtag well, sorry, we're gonna Matt. do these rapid fire. Okay, yeah. Player, let's let's not go your draft with I gotta go to Costco. <laughs> okay, rapid fire. Um, one minute answer. Player, you're not leaving your drafts without. Didn't we already do that? I said Quinn Johnston. Okay, I'll see you another one. Let me get another. No, one. this is like a cheaper one because, like, like as in, you're literally you're yeah. gonna draft like a ton of this guy. You're not gonna draft eighty percent Quentin Johnson. He costs too much. That's true. Who's the guy you're just like? Draft. Okay, who am I gonna take a whole bunch of? I'm gonna take. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna take a lot of Tank Bigsby. I'm gonna be drafting a lot of Tank Bigsby. My answer. Like, yeah, like, okay. like all of the Tank Bigsby. Like every single draft, I'm taking Tank Bigsby. Really? He's currently being drafted. What about two ten or so? Two twelve. Oh my god! Like that's. This is right. the greatest thing I've ever seen. Spoiler alert for those that aren't members of the Patreon. Tank Bigsby is perhaps the cheapest bulletproof running back we've ever had in the history of For the good concept. reason. Like he probably wouldn't even be bulletproof if you still had yards created. 
Yeah, I don't know if he would be or not. Yeah, he he might have been disqualified on yards created, but like he's he's not actually. I think he probably even if he sucked at yards created, he probably still would have qualified because his profile is really good across the board. Yeah, uh, but like, yeah, he's going at where is he? Did you did you actually look two twelve? Two eleven. Well, he was there when I wrote my. He was two twelve when I wrote my column two days ago, but that could have changed. Two eleven now. So he's, he's moved up to two eleven because the okay. patrons must be drafting. Because I've been doing a lot of rookie drafts and I've been <laughs> taking him ahead of his ADP. You've been taking him in the mid second where you shouldn't be. But you like the yeah. mid second because he's available there. I get it. I am ranked at the two hundred six. Um, and I'm higher. I'm higher. I'm a two hundred one or something. Right. Well, this is the thing where like so I have him ranked at the two hundred six. I have him one twelve. Okay, that's a little bit egregious. Um, I haven't I haven't ranked the two hundred six because I mean he's probably a backup running back like Travis Etienne yeah. is quite good. Um, but I would also take him a little higher if I absolutely had to. Um, like I have Marvin Mims ahead of him, and like basically where I'm at with all of these running backs is like the running backs that I like, the running backs that I think have upside. If I have to take them over the wide receivers that I like, I'll do it. I don't have to take Tank Bigsby over anybody because I can just draft him at his ADP or like even ahead of his ADP. And I don't have to do that by taking him over any players that I like because his ADP is all around players that I don't like. So um, I'm just taking Tank Bigsby every single time in the late two. I'm taking him in the mid two if I absolutely must and nobody falls to me. And then certainly sometimes he's fallen to me in the early third. And and then like happy days are here again. So I was also going to answer Tank Bigsby this question, but now I can't. Mine is um, Tucker Craft. Tucker Craft is basically free. There are like no good players that go around to Tucker Craft at all. Um, and he has like a pretty good profile as a tight end. He was productive. He was in FCS South Dakota State. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. But he was productive. He's not a supreme athlete, but he's definitely sufficiently athletic. Uh, ran under a 4-7. And lands on a pretty ambiguous depth chart of pass catchers where I'm kind of just into all of them. So I'm also taking Luke Musgrave. But Craft, like you can get him in the fourth a lot of the time. You can get him in the late third. He's my pick every single time that he's available in the fourth. And he's my pick like 70% of the time in the late third, unless somebody else that I like falls. I'm going to have probably 70% exposure to Tucker Craft. Yeah, I'm into that. I, I think Craft is a really good prospect and he's really, really cheap. I, the, the hesitation I have with Craft is that I have no faith that Jordan Love is going to even be able to operate an NFL offense. Yeah, but who cares? Like at that point, you're just you're just drafting to see if he flashes anything, and then maybe loves the yeah. future, maybe he's not. But like Chigakonko yeah. was in an extraordinarily non-functional offense last year, but he showed enough yeah, that people got really excited. Really excited, they're definitely round eleven. They're not really excited. Dude, not if, you, if you can load up on seventy percent Tucker Craft in the fourth, and now he, then he becomes a round eleven yeah. startup pick, you're doing a jig. Yeah, I thought the guy I was going to just be like not leaving like out was going to be Darnell Washington in like late round three. Right. Yeah. And then and then he got picked by the Steelers and now he's like out on like Instagram or something saying he's a six yeah, lineman. Six lineman. Yeah. I'm like, come on, man. Like you can't even like let me unload my Debbie shares. Like just say yeah, you're like uh, a six O lineman with sick hands or something. I don't know. So yeah, Tucker right. Craft I think is a great, great choice. Um I also like Luke Musgrave, so I'm a little bit sad they both yeah. went to the same team. But that's I actually kinda like it because I'm just like they probably both aren't good, um, yeah. so I'm just gonna take a punt of both. Like I'm, just, I'll take Musgrave first. His ADP's higher, so I'm always taking him first, and then I'm taking Kraft. And and I've done at least three drafts where I've taken both. Where I've just been like, this is my third round. I'm taking Packers tight end. Figure it out, guys. 
Um, you know who else I'm taking a lot of? I'm going to give one more. Just yeah, one. I'm going to give one more too. Okay, okay this is fun because I'm having a lot of fun right now with looking at like the deep parts of the draft. Yeah. Like Zach Evans seems like a pretty that fun That was game. my next one. Yeah. yeah let's go. Fun. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I should have let you go first because I went first last time. No, okay, you go first. That's Say your Zach Evans. The snake draft. Okay, I'm gonna take Zach Evans. Um, yeah, Zach Evans. <laughs> what I a surprise! A, I, I had a quote um, where I was like, "So I rank. I initially ranked Zach Evans at the 306, which won't seem high, but just let me finish. I originally ranked him at the 306 because I was like, that's probably about as high as I can justify ranking the 213th overall pick. Um, <laughs> and then like I found that I actually wasn't always getting Zach Evans, taking him where I had drafted him. And then I was like, you know, like the, the, the uh, Simpsons meme where it's like, um, is the market over, or it's like, have I ranked Zach Evans? Um, like, is the market drafting Zach Evans too belligerently? No, I haven't just, I have not been belligerent enough. <laughs> and so basically <laughs> I looked at it and I was like, what's worse, you know, not drafting 30% exposure to Zach Evans um, or trying to stick to my ranks. And I decided that not drafting 30% exposure to Zach Evans is worse. I'll take him as high as he needs to go. I'm just going to take him with, with the ton of thirds. He's good. Like, tons of red flags galore. He seems to have a mercurial personality. Um, he had a hamstring issue. He didn't play at the combine. He was listed as 215 in college. Then he weighed 202, but then he weighed more at the pro day. Whatever. He has a lot of stuff going around him. But he played in a backfield with Kendry Miller, at TCU, played in the backfield with Quinshawn Judkins, who's probably a top five Debbie running back right now at Ole Miss. Both times, when you compare his effectiveness as a chunk play creator, success rate, big play creator versus the other backs, he was the best back in the backfield, or at least comparable. He's good at running the ball. He goes to the Rams. Sean McVay is a fickle, fickle man. He's, one day, Cam Akers is 100% of the snaps. Next day, he might be caught. Next day, Daryl Henderson gets 80% of the snaps. Next day, he is caught. Uh, like he doesn't know what he wants to do. And the depth of this backfield is atrocious. Kyron Williams, uh, terrible. He got some snaps because they hated all their other running backs and they hated Kyron Williams so much. That they gave Cam Akers hundred percent of the snaps again. They, they were like, no, thanks. Kyron Williams. Uh, Ronnie rivers is a bastard born in the Riverlands in game of Thrones. It's not a real person. It's just an, it's just a name that they give to people who are born out of wedlock in the Riverlands of game of Thrones. Um, they also have to tie on Evans as a, as a UDFA. They added him. I kind of like him a little bit too, the throw in. I think Zach Evans is immediately the second most talented running back in this backfield. And Cam Akers showed a lot at the end of 2022. But if I'm betting against any starting running back in the league, Cam Akers is in my top five for sure. Like he's been pretty bad for most of his NFL career. Then he was really good. He's had Achilles. He's had personality clashes with the coach. No idea what to expect out of Cam Akers going forward. Um, and we know that Sean McVay, when he finds a guy, he will just give them absurd amounts of touches on occasion. And so I'm, I'm super into drafting Zach Evans. Like he could literally get cut in camp, but I still want 40% exposure to Zach Evans. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You basically just said everything that I was going to say anyway. So great job. I, I like, I loved Cam Akers as a prospect. He tore his Achilles. It all changed at that point. Now I'm like, I don't know if he's going to be any good anymore. Like his Achilles could rupture again. He might actually only be at 80%. I don't know how fast these things degrade. Like I don't know anything about Achilles injuries other than the doctors seem to tell me it's probably not good. And therefore, I think the doctors are probably right because I'm not a fucking doctor. And <laughs> if Cam Akers is sitting atop the draft chart and there's like a formerly highly thought of player behind him, 
I'm just going to go ahead and press the button and be like, well, if Cam Akers doesn't work out, it might be this dude. And let's go. So, Zach and Evans. Makers, like, and I think really, like, when you're drafting in the third round of rookie drafts, to me, the most important thing is can this guy be the number two? And then what's his contingent upside as a number two? Like, I look at Zach Evans versus, like, a like a Roshan Johnson, for example. Roshan Johnson's like, okay, people are really excited. Why? Because he's going to get on the field. Because why? He's going to play on third and long, and he's going to play special teams. Okay, great. Could he be the lead back? Could be. Yeah. But, like, Khalil Herbert was really effective on his touches. Deontay Foreman's always been effective wherever he's gone. I, it's entirely possible that Roshan Johnson needs two injuries to have legitimate contingent upside. It's also possible that he's the lead back. But even as the lead back, like, I don't know. They're, I think they're at least going to give Khalil Herbert the touches he got last year. He was, like, the best running back in the NFL in his 130 touches. He's keeping those. They're probably going to give some to Foreman. It's cloudy. It's easier to get on the field. But I don't know where the upside is. And even if he was the lead back, then he's the lead back with a rushing quarterback on an offense that might suck. Zach Evans. Yeah. Zach Evans, like I think, is not a lock to be the number two, but he should be the heavy favorite. Kyron Williams is not it. Tyon Evans is a UDFA. Ronnie Rivers is a bastard. That's it. It's just him coming into the backfield behind Cam Akers, who's like probably top three on your list of guys who are going to get injured this year because he's coming off the Achilles. So. Yeah, it's, it's wheels up. And then you're walking into a ton of contingent upside. I'm super excited about it. I think he, he can go high as he want, all the Zach Evans. Yeah, like when you look at the day three running backs and like where they landed, it's like, okay, Roshan Johnson on the Bears, sure, like that could that could happen. He, he could emerge for sure. There, there's not a lot of path to resistance there if, if Roshan Johnson is good. And then it's right. like... Okay, this dude went to the Jets. That's probably not going to happen. Okay, this dude went to the Bengals. Okay, that's probably not going to happen. This dude went to the Giants. Okay, that's not going to happen. Colts, no. Commanders, like maybe, but they already got two guys they played a ton already. And then Cowboys, well, Deuce Vaughn is is not ever going to be a thing. So that's going to no, be No, he only got drafted because his dad is the director of their yeah. scouting or his uncle or something. So he's yeah. Nepo baby Deuce Vaughn. Ne- nepotism at its finest. And then we got <laughs> yeah. Vikings where I'm like, yeah, okay. And then we got Packers. I'm like, nope. Seahawks, no. So it's the Rams. That's the only landing spot where I'm like, okay, <laughs> this guy might not actually be good. And he's a locked-in starter. If this guy isn't good, the next guy up could be the locked-in starter. And that's not even right. looking at Zach Evans' profile and the fact he was the number two recruit in his class, right behind Bijan Robinson, he was effective every step of the way through college, though he never got a large workload. The guys he played with are also drafted highly. Like, what was uh, shit? What's the uh, the name of the Kendrick the, Miller, seventy first overall to the he New Orleans Saints? Like, it's yeah. not like he played with a nobody. He played with a third rounder. Like, it's it's not unreasonable he didn't get a whole bunch of touches. Judkins might be a third rounder or better next year or the year. I forget which year he is. Is he next year or the year? 25. Yeah, he was keeping as a freshman. So two more years. He could be a third yeah. rounder as well. Like, there's there are reasons to be hesitant, of course. I am concerned that he wasn't able to just be the stud that we thought he would be when he was in Debbie. Correct. I am concerned that he fell all the way to round six. I am concerned that he basically got thrown off his first college team. There are a ton of red flags, and now we're getting him at 31 in rookie drafts. It's middle of the third round. That's perfectly fine. I'm happy to take that risk at 31 in rookie drafts. If he was going at 11, I'm probably passing and saying no thank you at all turns. But at 31, like it's well worth the risk. 
So let's go. Uh, who? What's the? What's the next question? Last question that I have is: Who are two players similar ADP you're having the hardest time deciding between? In rookie drafts or in general? In rookie drafts. This is all about rookie drafts. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> okay, two players with the same ADP that I'm having the hardest time picking between. Yeah, because the other uh, was originally my last question was who's a player that will be on zero of your teams this year, but I think we answered that for both of us. It's Jonathan Mingo. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty safe answer. Uh, that I'm having the hardest time picking between, like actually picking between. Or you know, what we should actually finish this on is we haven't even talked about. It's been an hour and forty three minutes. And we haven't even talked about the player that we disagreed about most pre draft getting an awesome landing spot, and now is a first round rookie draft pick. Scrap that question. We need to argue about Devin and Shane. Oh, yeah. Okay. Where, where, what are your thoughts on Devin and Shane? Let's finish with the Devin and Shane debate because the, the people will be really mad if we don't give them that. I'm basically even on on uh, ADP with them right now. Oh, that's boring. I thought you'd have like the 308 or something silly. No. You hate this guy. You said he sucks. You said he's terrible. He does suck, but he can catch passes, and he landed with Mike McDaniel's where they do the thing where the little guys always get a whole bunch of yards anyway. Well, this is boring. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm super in on Devin A. Chain. I got, I got but I'm also like, Oh, you're a little behind then. Okay, so I have Devin A. Chain at 11. Um, but like it's kind of the same tier anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and this has been like another fun little bit is like I just continually get troll where – Devin A. Chain, again, he said his ADP is 13, so that's the 201. In 18 rookie drafts, Devin A. Chain has made it to the second round in one of mine. So that would that would fail most statistical tests of significance beyond the confidence interval. So the only <laughs> possible explanation is that I'm just being intentionally trolled by the universe. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a little sad that Devin A. Chain got – this exact mix where I said this when I was on a stream live, I was like the gap in ADP between Devin A. Chain, if he went 51 to Miami or 84 to Miami is probably going to be not anything, but the gap in what his ADP should be, should probably be something because like that actually should be relevant, but people would probably draft him at the exact same spot, whether he went in the second round of Miami or in the third round of Miami. Um, yeah. And so I would have been like, a lot more confident taking him here if he went in the second round because I think that would have been a lot more bullish on what his eventual workload is going to be versus the third round is like he might get a workload or he might just be kind of a situational player. But here's my take, my bull case for Mr. Devin A. Chain, where is a guy, I don't know if I'm going to draft a ton, a ton, a ton of him because he's kind of the first or near the top of a pretty flat tier of players for me. But I'm certainly not going to leave this rookie draft period without getting a bunch of exposure. I think that we've seen similar players like him get pushed up to a similar range of the draft, most notably a James Cook last year, who I think is a small hit, small miss type of player where he's a good football player. He's going to be used situationally, but he's not a type of guy that's ever going to command more than his little share of the pie in the backfield because he never did it in college and he's undersized. Devin A. Chain, of course, is substantially undersized. He's 188 pounds. We know this. But his profile is not like most of the Gio Bernard, Isaiah Peed, James Cook type running backs where they profile more like scat backs. He has elite speed, 
4-3-2. And he was a legitimate college every now and back in his third year. And in his first and second year, he played quite a bit next to Isaiah Spiller, who say what you want about Isaiah Spiller, but he wasn't an NFL draft pick. So for a college back, that's pretty good. Devin A. Chain, absolutely dominant in terms of how he was compared to other running backs. I'm once again going to be quoting from a lot of Hill's research, but 91st percentile relative yards per carry, 92nd percentile box adjusted efficiency, and a 96th percentile relative success rate compared to other Texas A&M backs over his first two years playing in that change of pace role. Would he ever get the carries? Yes. He takes over as the undisputed workhorse in 2022, 64.6% of his team's rushing yards. That's one one hundredth of a percent below B. John Robinson's peak season, ranks near the top of running backs drafted in this class. Once again, was up over the 80th percentile in relative success rate, relative yards per carry, box adjusted efficiency, and forced missed tackles per attempt in his third year. Also is a guy where you think, well, was he just getting all these favorable situations? Was he just getting used in all these gimmicky touches because he's so small? No, he had higher men in the box than the average of Texas A&M running backs. He was most successful in terms of a success rate player, in terms of getting what was blocked, in terms of generating positive yardage. He didn't behave like a typical 188-pound running back, bouncing things to the outside and taking high-risk decisions. He played like a very standard running back. Also, of course, was used as a receiver, but has actually been more efficient and more high volume as a running back or as a rusher than he even has been as a receiver. So I think with A-Chain, he's effectively been, if Devin A-Chain was 210 pounds, we'd be extraordinarily excited about him. And whether or not he can continue to translate being such an outlier type of player at his size in the NFL, total unknown. Whether his coaching staff will even let him, total unknown. But he's in an incredible backfield for him where there's no level of player that is going to demand their own touches. The sole determining factor of his workload is going to be how much he can handle and how much his coaches think he can handle. I think that he's a very low floor player, but I think that he's actually a way higher ceiling player than you normally see out of players in this range because of that full holistic profile of him being a workhorse back, being an all-purpose back. I'm super pumped. I think like in terms of players that I could see, being a must-have on your teams that's scoring RB1 or wide receiver one level scoring production, I think he'd rank in like my top six from this class. So I'm going to be drafting him every time I can in the late first and the early second. Well, <clears throat> given that our range of draft position isn't all that different, our takes are substantially different. I want nothing to do with Devin A. Chain. Uh, in fact, I just realized I don't even have him as a as a like avoid in rookie drafts, and I probably should. So I'm going to go ahead and make that change right now. Uh, I do not want to draft Devin A. Chain. He's part of that second round that I just have no interest in drafting. You know, where we were saying, oh, like we could just go ahead and take Marvin Mims over all these terrible guys, and the second round isn't so bad. I'd sooner have Marvin Mims probably. Uh, I'd certainly rather have Tank Bigsby. I'd certainly rather have Sam Laporte. I'd certainly rather have Michael Meyer than Devin A. Chain in all cases. I don't hate Devin A. Chain, though. Like, I think he's just really uninteresting is what it comes down to. I think you're right when you're saying he's a low – what do you call him? Low low miss, low hit? Like No, I said he's not good. like that. I said that's what other oh. small running backs have been, but I think he's not. Oh, no, that's what he is, though. No, I think you're wrong. I think he has a much wider range of outcomes. I don't think he is a traditional satellite back. I think that if he's 
like I don't think he's as good at doing the satellite back stuff as a James Cook is. He's not actually that developed as a receiver. I think that, however, if he's given an opportunity to rush with a big workload, I think he could absolutely succeed on it and be a legitimate outlier at his size and be a legitimate force, be a legitimate 200 touch or 200 carry. Like, it's not going to be a workhorse the way Derrick Henry's a workhorse, but I think he could be 2022 Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard had 48% opportunity share. Of course, he could have 48% opportunity yeah, and he share. Was the RBA because he was an extremely efficient running back who got enough touches. I think yeah, he could be I think he'd be 2019 Aaron Jones. I don't think he's ever gonna be a 300 carry back, but I think he could be an Aaron Jones, a Tony Pollard, like a, a back that's not a workhorse, but that's getting enough touches and then providing so much efficiency through sheer talent that he's able to score on the RB1 levels. I I will fade any type of let's buy the sub 50% opportunity share guy and just hope for efficiency. Well, Tony Pollard's not getting a sub 50% opportunity share anymore, baby. That, that Tony, you even said on Twitter, you said you win. You finally conceded. You do win. Tony Pollard. You win. You win now. I don't. I don't. I still don't feel like he won last year because he only had forty eight percent opportunity share. But you're going to win this year because he's going to RB eight overall in points per game. How did I not win? Lucky. Oh my god! Yeah, he got lucky. Yeah, he got lucky. Good for him. He got lucky. Twelve touchdowns in sixteen games. You get twelve touchdowns, you're going to score fifteen points a game. He just he just fell into the end zone. He didn't do anything, you know, to deserve those touchdowns. He scored more touchdowns last year. Than he had in his entire career to that point. Yeah, because he was finally given some freaking touches. <laughs> he had less touches last year than he had in no. his entire career to that point. Oh well, yeah, he had less touches in one year than in three years. That's a that's a yeah yeah. That's a incredible and yet he scored he more touchdowns made. last year than he did in three years. And and did he just fall ass backward into the end zone, or was he making some plays on the football field? He was making plays. plays. That's what I said. He got lucky. He got a bunch of long <laughs> touchdowns. Good for him. Things. Right. That is a four, four, it's great. A it's great for him. I I'm never going to put on Devin A. Chain doing that. I wonder, I wonder if Zeke will get lucky this year and score a 75-yard touchdown or two. I wonder if he'll, if that luck will, will fall him. What's that? I, I didn't hear you. I, was I just said I wonder, I wonder if Zeke's going to get lucky this year and score a couple 75-yard touchdowns. Seems like just any day now that'll be in the cards. Well, I don't know about that. Let's get not get carried away. Zeke's, Zeke's a bit uh, out of touch with reality as far as it goes. Uh, his uh, or his football skills, I would say. All right, so you're not drafting. If he comes back to Dallas, if he comes back to Dallas, Um, I don't know. It'll probably be like what it was at the end of last year, which is like Pollard. So, start of last year. First, first six weeks, Pollard played over 50% of the snaps just once. Then Zeke gets hurt, and Pollard plays, obviously, a clear majority of the snaps while Zeke's hurt. Zeke comes back, and Pollard plays a majority of the snaps in all but three games. But those three games include the game that he got hurt in the playoffs, which, obviously, he was out-snapping Zeke by a lot until he got hurt. Um, the very meaningless Week 18 game. And then a game against the Colts where he actually played more snaps than Zeke, but nobody played 50% because they rested their starters the whole fourth quarter. So he outsnapped Zeke like almost every single game after Zeke comes back, after Pollard got the opportunity. 
I think Pollard's going to have the same role regardless of whether Z comes back or not. That's the thing. Like people are, I almost hope Z comes back because he's going to have, it's going to depress his ADP, but I think it makes almost no impact. Dallas had 524 running back touches last year. Pollard had 232 of them. Like I'm the most optimistic on Pollard of pretty much anybody, but he's not going to have 400 touches. Like, Somewhere between 232 and like 300 is going to be how many touches Pollard has. And that leaves like 230 to 300 for non-Pollard running backs. Like right now, I guess that's all going to Malik Davis and Ronald Jones. If Z comes back, he's taking away well, all of the Malik Jones Davis. Yeah, he is. Yeah. If, oh, if man, Z it's over. does resign with the Cowboys or like anyone, I don't know, Lenny, Hunt, whoever. If somebody, re, if somebody signs with the Cowboys... First, they have to take all of the Malik Davis, Ronald Jones carries away before they start encroaching on the Pollard touches, is my point. And there's a lot of Malik Davis and Ronald Jones touches. So to me, if you're projecting Zeke signing to have a massive impact on Pollard, either you're just not cognizant of how many running back touches are available for Cowboys running backs, you think they're going to have way less next year as a whole unit, or you were projecting Pollard for like 400 touches this year regardless, which I don't think is reasonable. So I, I don't think that Zeke would have much of an effect on Pollard at all. Like so I think Pollard's role is going to be very good this year. No, I think he's going to be fantastic this year. He's going to, he's over the, oh, from week 11 through week 16, which was after Zeke came back, Pollard averaged 17.4 touches per game, averaged 21 fantasy points per game. That would have put him on a pace for, for over 300 touches, just over 300 touches. Like, I think that's pretty much his max. And which, he did which that week? alongside Z. Sorry? Which weeks was that? Weeks 11 through 16. So that's when Zeke came back starting week 11 from his injury up through week 16. Then Pollard gets hurt. He misses week 17. And then week 18 is a meaningless game. So the so stretch weeks- where both backs were playing is a six-week stretch. Both backs playing after Pollard got the chance to run with the job for a few weeks without Zeke before Pollard eventually gets hurt. Um, and he averaged over 17 touches per game. He had 21 fantasy points per game. He operated as the lead back, like not by a massive stretch, but he had more percent. He had a higher percentage of snap than Zeke almost every one of those weeks. <clears throat> I think that's kind of what you're going to look at with Pollard. Like he's not going to be Derrick Henry. He's not going to have, if, if, if they literally just go into the season with only Pollard, Ronald Jones, Malik Davis, like Pollard's still not getting 400 touches. So I, I think that, they found a way to put him on a 300 touch pace over a stretch of time that was enough to get him over 20 fantasy points per game with Zeke there. If Zeke comes back to them on like a $2 million contract, he's not going to get more work than he got at the end of last year. Like they've already decided that Pollard is, is the one they're invested in more so than Zeke at this point. I think they, they have a lot of touches in the backfield that aren't going to go to Pollard. And if they think Zeke's a better option for them than Ronald Jones and Malik Davis, I probably agree with them. Um, and I think that's what it would be. He would take a portion of the pie and Pollard's going to get used to the point of diminishing returns. I don't know for sure what that is. Maybe 250, might be 300, probably not more than that. So I, I think that's fine. I think Pollard is going to push for 20 points per game this year, but I, I think it's going to happen with or without Zeke. I think the biggest question is that right now, like Ronald Jones might have 200 carries this year. <laughs> that's not a, not a good look for the squad. This is your last chance to buy Ronald Jones. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've somehow been uh, able to 
fend off Meyer is to buy Ronald Jones over the years. I, I'm just yeah, a little concerned that you're banking it all on this six-week stretch where he had six touchdowns in six weeks and only scored 21 points. And then also had like a 189-yard game one week with six receptions. Another yeah, game with six the best receptions. Back in, well, yeah, he's going to get a lot of receptions. And you're not at all concerned about like pace of play with the change from Mike McCarthy, from Kellen. Yeah, somewhat. What's what's the guy's name? Someone. Uh, but what's the guy's yeah, name? It's, it's it's gonna from Kellen Moore to Mike McCarthy. Yeah, Moore, I just right. think with Pollard, like I'm not that concerned about it because I don't think that the share matters. Tony Pollard is the most talented running back in the NFL by a lot. Do you and, know that Debo Samuel was the most talented football player on the football field in 2021? Ball, and then he did nothing Tony the Pollard, next year. Tony Pollard is the most talented running back in the NFL by a pretty significant margin, but he over can't Nick Chubb on as many touches. Yeah. He's way and more over Nick Chubb is not running. Yeah. When you factor in all aspects of the running back position, running, oh. receiving, it's Pollard. Oh, for sure. The question, the difference over Christian is, McCaffrey. Yes. He's a much better runner than Christian McCaffrey. Over Bijan Robinson. We haven't seen him play in the NFL yet. Bijan could oh. easily take that thrown by like week two. Um, the difference is, it's like, I don't know if he's actually a better running back or a more valuable running back than some of these guys because some of these guys can literally handle as many carries as you give them. Pollard, I don't think, can. Like, maybe he can, but why? Like number one Pollard fan club, and I don't think that he can because he's never done it. Why? And he's pretty slender. He's just like, he's tall and he's pretty thin. I um, swear that you told me that didn't matter last year. It matters at a point, but we have not reached that point. There's a point of diminishing returns for Tony Pollard. And I don't know exactly what it is. Okay, what's the over under on his points per game this year? Um, like what, are, what are you projecting? 18. What do you think he's going to score? 18? I'll say eight. Yeah, I'll say upper teens, 18, 19. All right. I, I think that, I don't think that's like the ceiling. I think, I think it, I think it's possible he gets over 20. I also think it's possibly 15, 16, but I think like I think he's more 15, 18 16. is probably the median. I'd go 15, 16. Well, my point with Pollard in terms of the opportunity share is like, the things that have prevented Pollard for most of his career is that A, I don't think they understood how good he was, and B, they were heavily invested in Zeke. And towards the end of last year, they finally realized, I think, how good he was, but then they were still really invested in Zeke. They're no longer invested in Zeke. Even if they bring him back, they're not $90 million invested in Zeke. And at this point, they clearly know how good Pollard is because they just signed him for a $10.4 million contract, and they didn't draft a running back until round seven. Like, maybe they'll bring in a vet, but there's no guarantee. So they're clearly like pretty okay with giving Pollard a lot of touches this year and they're paying $10 million for it. I think with Pollard, the question is what's his point of diminishing returns? I don't think that if you ask Tony Pollard and the Cowboys, they could give you an exact answer on what his point of diminishing returns is. So I certainly can't, but I don't think it's a share issue because I think with Pollard, it's we're going to give him as many touches as we can give him where he's still going to be extremely effective and then somebody else is going to take the rest. So if they have, if they run at a high pace again and they have 500 running back carries, to me, that's going to be about 300 touches. If they run at a lower pace and it's 400 total running back touches, they're going to give Pollard about 300 touches. I just don't think that Pollard's role is very reliant on that. Like if they run at a slower pace, then Pollard's going to have a higher opportunity share. And if they run at a higher pace, then Pollard's going to have a lower opportunity share. But they've invested in this running back who's supremely talented, they finally have understood how supremely talented he is, they're going to give him the role that he can handle, 
And then the rest of the spillover is going to be for other running backs to figure out. But I don't think that that affects Pollard. I don't think we should look at the share first. I think we should look at every backfield. We should look at what is the talent of this player? What is the skill set of this player? And how can they be used? And we should focus on the most talented player first and then deal with the spillover. So I'm looking at Pollard first and then the spillover. I think all the rest is just a matter of how many touches go to Ronald Jones, how many touches go to Zeke, how many touches go to Malik Davis, go to Leonard Fournette, whoever else is in the backfield. But Pollard's going to get his. If they if they drafted B. John Robinson, it'd be different. But there's no running back in this backfield that's going to be close to as talented as Pollard where I'm going to be focusing on my projection of, well, I got to allocate these amount of touches for Ronald Jones. It's like, no, I don't. I have to allocate this amount of touches for Tony Pollard. And then whatever's left can go to Ronald Jones. Yeah. How many touches are you allocating to Tony Pollard? Well, if you play, like, do you want to do this, like, per game? Or do you want to do, like, I'll just, I'm just going to assume that he plays. Opportunity share. How many opportunity share do you think he's going to get? I just, I just talked for five minutes about how I think that opportunity share is the wrong way to approach it. Why? Because I think it's about raw touches. It's not about opportunity share. Well, you need I to think have he's gonna opportunity have, share to filter over the raw touches. No, what I'm saying is I think he's going to have between 16 to 18 touches per game. And what if they don't what run the opportunity share? It's not relevant. He's going to have six. They're going to run enough plays to get Tony Pollard 16 to 18 touches per game. And if they run more plays, then he will have a lower opportunity share because there will be more plays for other backs. And if they run less plays, then he will have a higher opportunity share because there will be less plays for other backs. But it's not going to be relevant what the share is. He's going to have 16 to 18 touches per game because that's what he can handle and that's what he deserves. And then beyond that, it's just however much goes to Ronald Jones. But like, if they run the same amount of plays as last year, his opportunity share is probably like 55%. If they run less plays, then his opportunity share is probably 70%. That's interesting. I've never even considered starting with the raw volume and then backing my way into the rest of the offense before. That's uh I think it depends on, on which player you look at, but that's for for running, I would never look at it this way for wide receivers because everybody's on the field for however many times. But like for 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 running backs, like I think it comes down to who's the most talented player in the backfield? What situations can they be used? How many touches can they handle? And then we deal with the less talented players in the backfield. But like, I, yeah, so I don't think the opportunity share is, I think it evolves. I think it's about how many touches. I think he's going to be 16 to 18-ish. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. Never, like I said, never even considered once in my life looking at, this guy's going to get this many touches. Now we'll fill in the offense after that. I always look at what the offense is going to do from a like holistic point of view. Like how many plays are they going to run? and then break it down from there as to what percentage of these plays can this player handle as opposed to he can handle 16, so now we need to fill in. We're going to get 32 touches. He can handle 16, so we'll fill 16 somewhere else. But I think, that, I, think that, I think that, I mean, this is one of those things where, like, I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to the R-square world of fantasy analysis. I think you have to look at every player as their own delicate little flower, and what you should look at with each player depends on the player. So the way that I project Pollard is not the same way that I project a Nick Chubb or a Jonathan Taylor. It's not the same way that I project a Rashad White. Like I, don't, like, I don't think you should look at... So I don't have a way of projecting all offenses. I have a way that I project the Dallas offense based on the personnel in the Dallas offense. And then if we were to talk about the Eagles offense, I would talk differently. 
But in general, with each running back, like the first thing that I look at when I'm trying to project the running backs touches, is I look at the actual running backs. What do I think they're good at? What do I think that they're not good at? Who do they have? How many touches do I think they can handle? I, I look at the talent first. So that to me is, is where I go. If you have, it's, I don't know, it's different like versus the, oppor- the opportunity share. It's not like I don't care about the opportunity share, but I, I think that the opportunity share sometimes is the output rather than the input. And then sometimes it's the input, but it, 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 it's dependent. Like with Taylor, for instance, I think it's a different scenario where I do think I would look at more at the share because Taylor's a big boy. He can handle a ton of touches, right? I don't think that his point of diminishing returns is ever going to be reached in a point where it's like we've reached this point and he can't take any more. I think it's going to be about the offense. It's going to be, well, he literally can't play every snap because sometimes he's going to need to take a sip of Gatorade. And so, and that's pretty much it. Otherwise he's going to play all the rest of them. And so at that point, he's very dependent on the offensive environment because he's his ceiling and touches like Josh Jacobs, how many touches did he have last year? Like 400 or something insane. Right. Yeah. Like, right. If, if however many plays the Raiders ran was however many touches Josh Jacobs was going to get, because he was getting all of them, but I don't think Tony Pollard can get all of them. So I, I think he's less like, but Aaron Jones, is a great example too. Like Aaron, Green Bay has ran at a really slow pace for a number of years um, with Aaron Jones there. And like, I think if they ran at a lot faster pace, I'm not actually sure that Aaron Jones would keep the same opportunity share. I, I think that they look at him as a player who's awesome, but kind of limited in terms of how many touches you can give him. I, I think they might just then find more touches for other backs. Yeah, it looks like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I've never looked at it that way. I'll have to check it out and see if it makes sense to me. I would hesitate to say a player will get this X many touches regardless of everything else, but perhaps that's how they do it. I would have thought it would be more like we want to run – you know, whatever they want to run. And then they're like, and Tony Pollard is our best running back. So we'll give him as many touches as he can handle within the context of this offense, as opposed to we are going to give Tony Pollard 18 touches. And now we will build the rest of the offense around that. No, I don't think it's all that. I don't think, I think it's exactly what you just said. We're going to give him as many touches as he can handle within the context of the offense, which, which dependent on the con- opportunity share of the snaps and the, and the volume of the offense. Right, but I don't think that it's just infinite growth. Like, no, at some point it's got to stop. Like, nobody's—if you run seven thousand players plays, nobody's going to run five thousand of those plays, right? Right. Like you're going to have. Like, to I don't think it's like okay. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being slightly exaggerated, but like, okay. So I don't know. Let's say, let's say if they're thirty second in pace, like they're the slowest team in the NFL. Let's say Pollard has like a somewhat of a range of touches that, you know, it's like there's a range they're, they're of touches and there's a second, range of opportunity shares. Sorry? They're not going to be 30-second. I just checked. No. Mike McCarthy's been running uh, mid-high-end space regardless. Whatever. I'm just ex- I'm just explaining like my, my thought on it, which is like there's – to me there's like a range of touches and there's a range of opportunity share. And the range of opportunity share is much wider than the range of touches. So it's like if they run at the slowest pace – he's probably at his lower range of touches. And if they run at the highest pace, he's probably at the higher range of touches. But it's, so it's not that the touches are completely stagnant, 
but I don't think that it fully scales either. Like, I don't think it's like, like, I think if they run less plays, they'll have a higher opportunity share, but less raw touches slightly. And if they run at a higher pace, they'll have a lower opportunity share, but more raw touches slightly. Yeah. So if there's not as many plays to go around, they'll give him a higher percentage of them because he's the best player, but they're not going to go into the game being like, we're going to get Tony Pollard, 18 touches. Now let's figure out the rest of the offense and build around that. No, but I just think it's a matter of like with, when the offense is running. Well, they're not going to give him more than 18 touches because that's as many as he can have. No, that's something like I think they're going to look at the, the context of the offense and they're going to be like, oh, we're not running a lot of plays. And Tony Pollard has only had like 11 touches so far. So we're probably just going to let him keep running the ball. <laughs> but I, I think it's different where if they were like, oh my God, Tony Pollard's already up to 19 carries, like we probably should let Ronald Jones have a series. I mean, but I don't think they're, 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 they're not doing. I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not going into the game being like, we better get Ronald Jones 12 carries. Like they're not doing that. I think it's I like if Ronald, Jones is 12, either. if Ronald Jones is getting 12 carries, it's probably because they ran the ball a lot and they ran a lot of plays and Pollard has like 20 carries. And so uh, these things are, I don't know, these, these things are going to work in conjunction with one another. It's like, yes, on the game that they run the ball more, Pollard's going to have more carries. Ronald Jones is going to have more carries, and so the opportunity share is going to be somewhat stable. Yeah. But I think, like, on net, if you're, like, on net, it's, like, whatever the range is in the total number of plays, I don't think that that – I don't think that range on Pollard's carries is quite as wide is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think that I think that they're going to give him mostly what he can handle. Yeah, I think I am understanding what you're saying now. I was misunderstanding originally. I thought you were – blatantly saying no matter what you will get 18 no. touches and then we'll figure out the rest but yeah you're no, saying only- he can't get more than 18 so if it's a lot or whatever the number is right. so if it's a larger balance then the opportunity share will be skewed because they'll have to get somebody else involved if right. and, I'm just can 18, and it's small the opportunity share is small then his percentage of them will go up i see right and i'm just I'm like 18 is a guess like I'm, I'm basing this off of the share that he had when he was on that week touches. 11 to 16, which is when he had 17.4 touches per game. That's like, yeah. I think that's like a realistic ceiling ish. I don't know. Could he handle 19? Maybe. I don't know. It, it could yeah. even, maybe it's 17. I don't know. But it's like somewhere in that range. My point is, like, he's not going to, he's never going to have 25 touches per game. It's not going to happen. Like, yeah, he's not going to be maybe, Ezekiel Elliott circa 286. Right. He's not, he's, he's not, he's not built like that. That's fine. But there, we've had a lot of running backs, like, if Tony Pollard is a 20-point-plus-per-game running back, he's not the Zeke model. He's the Jamal Charles. He's the yeah. Austin Eckler. He's the he's, whatever. He's scoring six touchdowns in six games kind of thing. It's going to come through pass catching and efficiency. It's not going to come through like yeah. raw carry volume. No, no, no. It's going to be unrepeatable efficiency, of course. But part of – well, it's it's been repeatable every year of his career – He's vicious. He's very efficient. He's been the most efficient running back, like basically every time that he's ever gotten carries. Yeah. Well, not from a fantasy standpoint. Well, it's been efficient from a fantasy standpoint. He hasn't gotten enough carries for it to matter. But he's like, if his oh. fantasy points per touch, I'm sure are great. I don't know. I've never looked at fantasy points per touch. I don't ever intend. Well, to look I'm at just saying he's got like seven, ten. Yeah, he's got like ten touchdowns in his career prior to last year on like. Oh, way, way. Last year was the first year. Last year was like the first year of his career where 
it wasn't like, oh, Tony Pollard, you got the drive down to the four-yard line? Get the fuck out. Put in his knee. <laughs> they finally let him, like, he still wasn't getting most of the goal line touches. They let him bloom. They let him bloom. The TSN turning point for Tony Pollard was when he had, like, a 55-yard touchdown run that was called back, and they marked him down at the half-yard line. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to put in Zeke. And then they were like, no, Tony, we're going to let you punch this He's touchdown. Finish that one off, bud. The entire way. I was like, yes, huzzah, we finally, we finally. I was so prepared for Zeke. They were like, all right, we're bringing in Zeke <laughs> to the last oh last foot. All right, you got to go to college. I'm going to take the under on 18 that. points. You're going to take the over, and we'll – No, we'll I'm not taking there. the over. You asked, what do I set the over under? I'm taking 18 yeah, points. you have to take the over if I'm taking the under. We can't both take the under. No, I'm not taking the under or the over. I'm, you asked me to set the line, so I'm setting the line. <laughs> if I asked you to set the line, then you would set the line probably below 18, and then I would take the over. But you okay, well, then all of a sudden that's 17.5, so and you can take the over. Yeah, and I'll take the under. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sure, there you go. Where Where would you Where would you Where would you rank Tony Pollard and redraft this year? How many running backs would you take out of Tony Pollard? Oh, not very many. Have yeah, maybe. Let, let me just check. Let me just check the players hey. here. One Bijan, yes. CMC, Bijan yes. for sure. CMC for sure. Saquon Barkley, yes. I take Saquon. Austin Eckler, yes. Yeah. Shit, okay, is it? that's four for sure. Jonathan Taylor, what do you think Jonathan Taylor? Oh, I'm taking I almost want to say sure. no. Way over, like miles ahead of Tony Pollard. All right, yeah, I'm probably taking JT too, but I, I was curious what you'd say about that one. Okay. I'm taking uh, that's Breeze. Five. I'm probably taking Breeze. I'm not going to take Breeze, but that's like only because of the ACL. If I if I like if I was if I knew that Breeze was going to be fully healthy from week one, I'm definitely taking him over Pollard. See, and I'm just going to take him because I think he's going to be fully healthy by like mid season, and he's going to win me my league in the second half. Whereas I feel like Tony Pollard's going to be pretty like stream like normal the whole year. Sure. So I'm going to take the the sure. ceiling play rather than the floor play, as as has been the theme of the episode thus far. Right, I'm big on the floor. Uh, what about Travis Etienne? Are you taking Travis Etienne over? Not a chance. Pollard? No, I'm definitely taking no? Pollard over Travis. I don't think I'd take Etienne either. Uh, would I take Ramondre Stevenson? Ramondre? I probably oh, would. Bring up. I'll take Pollard over Ramondre, but I, I do like Ramondre. Be close. I mean, he, talk about a big winner of the draft. I'm actually surprised by that one. I actually thought that the Patriots were going to Patriots and they were going to take some like passing down specialist um, to totally yeah. – destroy Ramondre Stevenson and they didn't so the only the only running back that they added was James Robinson and the beat reporters for the Patriots at the Athletic came up with their roster projection and James Robinson wasn't on it they actually projected him to be a camp cut so I mean I don't know if he's gonna get a camp cut obviously that's a May 6th report but the point is like I don't know that the vibes around the building are that oh my gosh we got to get James Robinson involved it's like maybe we'll get James Robinson involved and maybe we'll cut him for Pierre Strong so um going to be a great season for Ramondre Stevenson. Their wide receivers also still suck. They were rumored to potentially draft wide receivers early. They didn't. They drafted Kayshawn Booty um, in the sixth <laughs> round. So they're going to continue to have to funnel targets for Ramondre Stevenson, whether they want to or not. Yeah, i I probably taking Stevenson over Pollard, I think. Oh, no. It'd be close, though. One of the, like, they'd be what the about same. Chubb? Are you taking Chubb or Pollard? Uh... I'd probably just take Pollard, I think, over Chubb. Yeah, I don't know. Chubb, Chubb has Chubb has some appeal now that uh, Kareem Hunt is gone. Uh, that he yeah, might so that's what I'm pushing. Day, but, Here's a great uh, example of the whole 
we're going to give this guy what we want to give this guy. Like, remember when Kareem Hunt went down and everyone was like, Nick Chubb could be the RB1 overall now because yeah, no one they just gave him. touches to Johnson. And then they, they literally took a former fisherman and they were like, we're going to play you on every third and nine. Like, Jarenis yeah. Johnson was fishing for Mahi Mahi off the Florida Keys and then he was playing every long down and distant snap. Like, this is, this is the thing is like, I wrote, this is what I, I wrote about this for like 300 and, 3,500 words in my rookie draft walkthrough about some of the mistakes I think people make in projecting backfields is like, to me, the idea of backup stealing work is mostly a myth. It's not always a myth. Sometimes you do legitimately get two backs in a backfield that are both capable of much more. But a lot of the time, it's just that the starting running back is like either not good enough at certain things or they can only handle so much volume or the coaches just decided that they're only going to use them in situations where they think they're drastically better because they want to limit them to some extent. And, and most of the time, that running back is not stealing the work. The backup's not stealing the work. If the backup went away, they would just bring in some other backup and he would just get the same. Like That's most of the yep. time. It's not always the case for a couple of games. For a couple of games, like Tony Pollard, for instance, this year, in one game, we had 87% of the snaps, right? Okay, sure. For one game, that can happen. He's not going to play an entire season with 87% of the snaps, right? Yep. And, and that's what you're going to see with with a lot of these backs. It's like, I keep seeing these tweets about like, you know, oh, this day three running back is going to come in and steal more work than you think. Or like, Lenny's out there, he's going to come in and steal the work. It's like, I don't think Lenny is stealing anybody's work. And then people are like, what, you don't think he's going to get work? I'm like, no, I think, I think if Lenny signs, he's going to get work. I just don't think he's stealing the work. I think he's walking into work that is there and then he's going to be the one that takes it. But like, most sounds like the match. Backups... <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe it's semantics, but it's also, I think, like people people over-project touches for backs in empty backfields, and then they overemphasize the difference when a back gets added. Is what it's like Rashad White right now. It's like who's gonna steal the work from Rashad White? You know who's gonna steal the work from Rashad White if someone steals the work from Rashad White? Rashad White is gonna steal the work from Rashad yeah, White. He's not good being good enough, right? Like, like I don't like Rashad White now. Is probably not going to get 100% of the touches because he's not good enough to get 100% of the touches. Who's going to take the rest of the touches? I don't know. Sean Tucker, Chase Edmonds, Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt, Ronnie Rivers. I don't know. <laughs> probably Ronnie Somebody Rivers. probably. And like, it's not like, as, and I don't think that they're stealing the work from Rashad White. I just think that work was always there. It's just we don't know who's going to take it yet. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly, you're exactly right. That's what we, generally do is we don't just project bad players for huge volume we say the players earn people the do do that people do do and that. then what happens though is they they get that skewed with player x earn volume y when really it's just player z earn volume q and that other one is what's left over and somebody had to take it so you know like it's not always a case of bad running back X earned Y. It's that bad running back X can't handle Z. So now we need to have somebody else handle Y. And yeah, that gets conflated a lot, I would say. So I concur. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw you tweet something and I was like, what are you talking about? Like these guys are still going to get work. They're not going to sign on a team and get 10% of the touches. They're going to get 50%. And then you said something along the lines of, I don't forget, opportunity share truthers, something, blah, blah, blah. Forget what it was. This is this, is this isn't it? Isn't this the yeah. tweet you're talking about? 
Well, this was yeah. this was the Zeke. This was like the thing about like, like it, it was like oh, like someone's gonna come in and steal this, whatever. And I just I, I don't know. It, it bothers me. I get that eighty percent of the time it is semantics, but then twenty percent of the time it's not semantics. Like twenty percent of the time it's it's like Zeke's gonna come in and all of a sudden people are gonna like drop. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm I'm really interested to see where Tony Pollard's ADP goes. I'm just going to say when Zeke signs. Actually, like, I should say if. But I'm saying it's like a 90% chance to happen. I feel but like I, at this point it's going to happen. Right. Like, this is what I'm – like, I am way – Oh, you've cut out. I can't hear you. I'm tr- I'm tr- no, I haven't cut out. I'm just trying to find oh. a way to phrase it. <laughs> I can see your mouth moving with no words, but you were just – I'm searching okay. for the words. Searching for it. Gotcha. I would wager – that I'm currently less bullish than probably the market at large on how many touches Pollard would get in this current configuration of the offense. I'm probably more bullish on the odds that they do sign Ezekiel Elliott or a comparable veteran to Ezekiel Elliott if for whatever reason that relationship was tarnished. But then I'm also much less concerned about how many about what impact those touches would have on Pollard is what I'm saying is like I think it's not like Zeke is going to come in and not get touches I think he's going to probably get 150 to 200 touches but I think most of those are should currently be projected to Ronald Jones and I guess I just don't believe that Ronald Jones is going to actually get 150 like the reason I'm so bullish on them signing Ezekiel Elliott is I'm quite certain that Tony Pollard is not going to get 400 touches but I'm also pretty certain that Ronald Jones is not going to get 200 touches. So one of, <laughs> so like, so somebody else has to take these touches. What I'm saying. Yeah, I, I would view it more like, uh, like in the in the same vein. Like I think it probably gets overstated, but like Tony Pollard right now to me is probably like a 60, 65 percent opportunity share guy. Like as it currently probably. stands, which means yeah, that probably. Ronald Jones is probably going to get you know 25, maybe 30 percent of the Davis. Touches. Like I don't know, or Malik like Davis, or some long, combination of the long. bottom of the barrel guys. And then if they sign Ezekiel Elliott, I think that will have a negative impact on Tony Pollard from Ronald Jones and Malik Davis. But I still think that Tony Pollard is going to lead the backfield for sure. Like if if Zeke signs tomorrow, I would probably put them somewhere closer to like 57-43 than 65-35 with a, with the other backups. So in that case, yeah, in my mind, that is him stealing work. But like it's minuscule. Like it's not a huge impact yeah that's somewhat reasonable like i don't know like yeah like a five to ten percent delta i could i could see that i think that's possible i think like the one difference is stealing work yeah i'm not even sure that i would actually project that like i'm not i think it's possible you think that if they signed ezekiel elliott that it would still be or maybe i have it too high maybe maybe you think less than i do already but you think it's gonna be 65 45 well, I, like I said, I've never thought about it in terms of the opportunity share first. But I think that I'll put it this way: if they if they have it, if they run the same pace they did last year, I don't think Pollard would get a sixty five percent opportunity share under any circumstances. Because well, last year there were, yeah, but Zeke I'm kidding. I'm kidding. More I'm only kidding. Time. Okay, sorry. <laughs> last last year, okay. last year they had five hundred and thirty two touches for running backs total. Was that number so one though? We, like that had to be close. Yeah, probably. Right. But, but also this is the thing is like, part of that is their personnel. Like part of that was like, they had Zeke on the roster. 
they wanted to give Zeke touches because they, I don't know, maybe they think he's good. Maybe they just paid him too much, but for whatever reason, they wanted to get Zeke touches. And they also were like, we need to get Pollard touches. So what I'm and saying is like, two, and their wide receivers were very good. Right. So this is the thing too. Like, I think they, I think that they would probably just have more total touches for running backs if they signed Zeke than if they didn't sign Zeke. Yeah, like awesome. I think that that's the other thing too. Is like even if the opportunity share changes, like I, I don't know, like the volume change. This whole backfield doesn't make sense to me. I, like obviously, I love Tony Pollard, but like I didn't think they would draft a running back in the first round. I'm stunned they didn't draft a running back at all, and I don't count Deuce Vaughn because he's not yeah. a real running back. I thought they were like, going to take someone in like round three or four is what I was expecting. Yeah, like, like a Roshan Johnson or something like that. When it was their right, late round three pick. I had already marked down Roshan Johnson. I was stunned that he got past them. Um, yeah. Like, and then I was like, okay, then they'll take Dwayne McBride or somebody. But like, they didn't at all. So I don't know. I just, I guess my, what it comes down to is with their running back room is currently constructed. I just don't think they're going to run the ball that much. But then if they add Zeke, I think they're going to run the ball more. Yeah. It seems so fair. I don't know. So like, it, it might change the opportunity share, but it might not change the raw touches that much. Gotcha. I do think the where where Zeke would have an impact. Is like I think still I think they might still use. If I had to guess with Zeke on the team that they do goal line work almost agnostically, where it's like if Zeke is already in, then he gets to finish the drive, and if Pollard is already in, then he gets to finish the drive. I think if they, if they, if, if it's just like Ronald Jones and and Pollard, like I don't know if they're gonna let Ronald Jones finish his drives. Like I think they might be like, all right, Ronald, thanks for getting us down here. <laughs> Get a Gatorade. <laughs> Oh man, can you remember the Ronald Jones folks? There's Ronald Jones people out there as well. I still think he's like a pretty alive. I still think that there's not that much of a difference in player between Ronald Jones and Miles Sanders. Like I think Ronald Jones is a perfectly fine running back, but I don't know. He's just clearly people don't like him. Like coaches don't like him. So I believe it. I remember having some of the most heated debates I've ever had on the internet regarding Ronald Jones versus Leonard Fournette. It was a wild time to be alive. And, and honestly, even before Leonard Fournette, just like Ronald Jones being good, like that was that was a big debate as well. A lot of heated debate. Like, remember the Peyton Barber versus Ronald Jones debates? Like we had those actual debates about Ronald Jones. Craziness. Absolute craziness. Anyway, do we have any more topics? No, this is a two and a half hour show, and we spent half an hour about it, just talking about Tony Pollard projections. Yeah. But I actually think we it should, was a somewhat interesting discussion about running back projections generally. So hopefully, people enjoyed yeah. that. We should um, probably actually have Matt put in a disclosure around that two hour mark, being like, "Hey, the next <laughs> bit is about the, the rest is about Tony Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys running back, and Ronald Jones. <laughs> we got and Ronald you know, Jones. We talked about Ronald Jones for like thirty minutes. Who, who would have thought? I, we've talked about Ronald Jones probably more than any other running back on this podcast. Yeah, and, and as of 45 minutes ago, you didn't even know he was on the Cowboys. That's true. I, <laughs> I think I forgot. I think I think I remember him signing and being like, bah! And then I completely gapped it. Like just Yeah, when they signed him, I was like, oh, that's like funny. And I'm sure they'll add two backs that are better than him by May. And then yeah. to this point, they haven't. So like currently, he might be the number two back on the Cowboys. <laughs> All right, yeah. that's going to be a wrap. Uh, you can find my work, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Thinking about thinking, I have a two-part rookie draft walkthrough. I have my post-draft ranks, I have my pre-draft ranks, I have all the good stuff uh, up there. Drew, where can people find you and your your fine work? 
Well, you can find me on patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF. We have all the things on there and I'm done tax season now. So I'm very excited to get into talking about all the things in detail. Um, some cool stuff we've done lately is just like uh, fixing some stuff around the quarterbacks and tight ends. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I feel like I've learned probably more than I anticipated to learn this entire off season, just in the first four months, which has been wild. So it's been exciting. Anyways, Very catch us next time on Sweat and Bullets, a bulletproof fantasy football podcast. Is that how we say it? <laughs> Something like that. Um, I like to think that this last half hour was like us including the conversations that we have after we finish recording or before we start recording. Pretty much. Yeah. Having it on the podcast. Yeah. It was like the outtakes, but like in the podcast. But the outtakes yeah. never get published. So like, congratulations. Right. Or, 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 now you know. Maybe we should have Matt run the music and then do the thing like uh, Matt Kelly does, like where we yeah, have yeah, yeah. after talk. Anyways. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, everybody. Have a good one, Drew. Enjoy Costco.